You're listening to the Live Free Now podcast, bringing you the news, views, tips, and tools you can use to live a free, prosperous, and healthy life. Find us online at livefreenow.show. And now your host, John Bush. We wake up to a new normal today and life is slowly grinding to a halt. Now masks are becoming the new normal. Americans are facing a new normal, one that may include losing their jobs, losing their income, and even losing their health insurance. I don't think we get back to normal. I think we get back or we, we, we get to a new normal. It's time to reject the new normal. Now is a historical moment, a time not only to fight severe virus, but to shape the system. It's time to reject the Great Reset. It's time to support the People's Reset. It's time for the Greater Reset. From January 25th to the 29th, journalists, activists, researchers, and advocates are hosting the Greater Reset Activation a five-day event dedicated to offering an alternative to the World Economic Forum's top-down, centralized, authoritarian vision. Our desire is to help all people find community and liberty by providing practical steps and knowledge for co-creating a world that respects individual liberty, bodily autonomy, and choice. The Greater Reset is the world's collective response to the World Economic Forum's initiative, The Great Reset. We invite you to join us for five days of discussion about the diverse opportunities available for those who seek to live in harmony with humanity and the planet while respecting our innate freedom. Each day is dedicated to a different domain and provides solutions to the WEF's vision. Day one is dedicated to the Agora and decentralized economics. Tuesday the 26th will focus on health and education. Day three will focus on nature, permaculture, and regenerative agriculture. Thursday the 28th will highlight the liberating side of digital technology, including encryption, blockchain, and decentralized autonomous organizations. On Friday, January 29th, we will end the event by showcasing examples of intentional communities, freedom cells, and community organizing. Don't miss out on this once-in-a-lifetime opportunity to hear from some of the most powerful speakers in the world with a focus on solutions. We encourage everyone to organize local watch parties in your area using freedomcells.org. Also, find out more about the Greater Getaway in-person event in Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Visit thegreaterreset.org for more information. Here we are. All right, what's live once again, yeah, day we... four. Yep, Cuatro. We are we are back here for another another day of solutions. John, we've talked about the Agora, counter-economics, alternative economic systems. We've talked about uh, health and education, how to get out of those systems, how to better take care of our children. We've talked about nature, permaculture, all the different intersecting topics, homesteading. And today we're getting into another juicy topic that I think, like yesterday's topic, can sometimes be a little you know, opinionated. People are opinionated on all sides about the role technology is going to play in the world that we're moving into. And we're going to be talking about that. But uh, before we get into that, I know you had a couple of things you wanted to cover, John. Yeah, well, I'd start, I'd like to start by inviting everyone to check out this super cool shirt I'm wearing. Look at that, the Freedom Cell Network. 
How about that? I bet you would like to rep one of these really cool shirts. And guess what? You can do one. that by going to thegreaterreset.org slash shirts. There's also a menu item right here. So check it out. We have two shirts, the Freedom Cell Network and the Greater Reset logo here, both on white, super simple. And we want to invite you to check these out. We're selling them for $25 a piece. And we know this is a global movement, so we will be shipping internationally. So, yeah, you can pay with PayPal, and the details are there. You can pay with Bitcoin, Bitcoin Cash, Ethereum, Dash, and Monero. And we strongly encourage you to fill out this form and be very clear Monero. and thorough. Yeah, Monero's great for privacy. Be very clear and thorough as far as what, how many shirts you want and the sizes of each. We're trying to make it real easy for you here. But, yeah, we, we'd love for you to be repping these shirts they look sharp, and you can represent the Freedom Cell Network and the Greater Reset in your hometown. So we're super stoked to have these, and thanks to all the folks that made these logos possible. Absolutely. And again, I want to start off today by just once again thanking all the volunteers. I want to say the volunteers around here in Ziwa who have helped out with our event and whole production crew back here, everybody volunteering. Can we get a round of applause for these guys right here who are making it happen? <laughs> yeah. And of course, we have an amazing, just totally decentralized team that came together. Uh, Philip, Manish, Garrett, and a few others from different parts of the world who have created all these graphics and everything we've been playing on screen. It's, it's been really just taking things to the next level. So we're thankful for that. And uh, yeah, like I said, we're going to get into some of the tech things. We do want you guys to continue to think in terms of activation. You know, I was thinking about this earlier, John. We've, we're doing this today is January 28th, 28th. And Four months from now in May, the World Economic Forum is going to be meeting in person in Japan. This is going to be you know, their official meeting since they're not meeting in person this week. They're doing an online meeting. And that's going to be the next Greater Reset event, May 25th through the 28th. And I plan to do another one here in Ziwa. So anybody else who wants to join, anybody else who wants to get part of our team, and we hope that everybody watching at home, wherever you're living, that you will organize watch parties. But what I want to talk about for a moment before we bring on our guests for our panel is what happens between now and then. You know, this is an activation, right? So let's say on Monday, you learned a little bit about pulling your money out of the bank and you put money in a credit union. That's a big first step. On Tuesday, you start thinking differently about how you can educate yourself. Yesterday, maybe you started, you know, buying some local seeds or starting microgreens or any of the ideas that were discussed. That's the first step. And that's an important step, obviously. But where, were you gonna, where are you going to be at in four months from now? That's what I want us to cultivate here. And we have a growing Telegram channel with 12,000 plus people. We've got growing uh, Odyssey channels and all the social media and all that stuff. But of course, we want real world communities and we want to hold each other accountable. So I think it would be really awesome to see everybody who's here in person and anybody who's listening at home to really think about what is the first step? Well, how are you going to get activated in some way for each day? And then how can we track that progress and hold each other accountable and then just support each other over the next four months so that when we come back, for those who do come back, and let's say we do another get together online and in person in four months, that it's not just more of the same old thing, that we can actually see tangible pro progress from what we are you know, aiming for. And that's, that's what I'm aiming for, at least, to get activated today, to help others get activated this week and see how we can move that forward so that when we do come back together, there's actual progress to show. And that's how we know that this isn't just a movement of people who like to pat each other on the back or a movement of people who think we're better than everybody else who isn't here or those sort of things, but a movement of people who are truly trying to change the world and manifest a greater reset. So, yeah, I just wanted to make that point, John. Yeah. Yeah, I think that's great. And this will be the third time I've brought this up. Just picture total freedom, total agorist, basically living kind of like Derek Bros over here. 
And here's maybe where a lot of people are right now. You don't have to just make the 110% jump, put yourself at risk, risk what you've built or whatever, or you don't have to just pull your kids out of this, that, or the other in an erratic way, but just come up with a plan and start working your way towards more freedom, right? And just take baby steps, set up the garden in the backyard, start looking at the alternative schools, start checking into co-ops, start preparing. And you want to know the one thing that makes all of this easier, living free in an unfree world, community. So once again, we invite you to check out the Freedom Cells Network, freedomcells.org. It's a place where you can get tapped into a community of like-minded individuals that are all on the same page and are all working together to opt out. And we can support one another. It'll make the transition quite a bit easier. Yeah. We're going to be talking about decentralized technology today. One of the big ones is blockchain. And uh, I've mentioned before, it's quite the paradox because the World Economic Forum, the Greater Reset, the technocrats, they're going to be utilizing centralized blockchain technology, whether it's central bank digital currencies or blockchains that track digital blockchain identity, all this crazy stuff. And I just want to make it crystal clear that blockchain is a technology, just like a firearm is a technology. It can be used to protect your family from attackers, or it can be used to coerce people, take their things, put them in cages. The important thing is, is that we're all very powerful people, and we have a wonderful opportunity using using decentralized blockchain where we can own our value, we can protect our information, we can create information in a decentralized, sensorless way so they can't take it down like big tech is so keen on doing lately. And I just want to point that out. It's not a technology we have to fear. It's something that we need to be prepared for because the technocrats are rolling it out. But I think one of the best ways we can prepare for it is by expanding the technology and utilizing it for the cause of good. Yeah, I just I want to add to that, John. I think we both agree on this position, and I'll even just you know be real and acknowledge there's there's some people out there. I keep it real. Our, they think our event is COINTELPRO or that we're co-opted because we're talking about things like blockchain and crypto. And this is again another area where there seems to be quite a bit of division, where people think that, as John was saying, that all use of blockchain or even digital technology itself is feeding into that system. Because it is true, the World Economic Forum the predator class, the technocrat class do have plans to put everything on the blockchain so that they can track and trace all life, you know, from cradle to grave, food, everything. I mean, this is, they've put this out in writing, but there's also people like the folks we're going to hear from today who are, who are working to use blockchain to create the exact opposite, to help people have systems that have trust built into them that don't involve governments, banks, and centralized institutions so that we can find ways to both embrace the technology, but also thinking about yesterday, stay connected to nature. I think that's very important, right? We, I, I personally am not a transhumanist. Everybody's free to do what they want, but I like my humanity and I want to stay connected to nature. There's a lot of really scary things about technology that are coming up, but there's a lot of really beautiful things as well. So we're going to talk about a number of ideas. Let's go ahead and get into it, John. We got our first uh, panel tonight is going to be two, featuring two guests who are both working on social media project, alternative social media. It's much more than that. They're going to tell you all about it. But again, these are alternatives to Facebook, to YouTube, etc. Those of you who've been following along online, we've been uploading all of the clips from the last three days. We haven't uploaded those, you know, made an effort to upload those on Facebook or YouTube. The full streams are there, but we're not really pushing or promoting those. Instead, we've uploaded the archive for the last three days to our Odyssey slash library channel and to our float channel. And tonight you'll get to meet the CEOs of those companies so we can hear more about what they're trying to do. And if you don't have an account with them, you can find out if you... So let's uh -oh. go... 
Let's bring on Jeremy Kaufman and Kingsley Edward. There we go. Uh, that, was a, that was a close one. <laughs> yeah, the NSA was tapping in. We're getting too serious about these yeah. alternatives. Just letting us know that they're there and watching. Yeah. Welcome, gentlemen. Uh, why don't you go ahead and introduce yourselves? We're really pleased to have you today. Go ahead, Kingsley. Okay. So yeah, Kingsley Edwards, CEO of Floats, uh, crypto entrepreneur since 2013. And uh, got into this because I saw what was happening with uh, free speech, even, even back in like the Ron Paul days. And now it's just becoming more and more evident that um, there is an attack on free speech online. And also just recognizing that, um, you know, what's happening with obviously like with crypto as well. So we launched in uh, 2019 and uh, we are growing uh, uh, pretty well month over month. We got a big, uh, a great roadmap ahead of us here in 2021. And uh, yeah, really, really excited to be here with you guys. Big fan of uh, all your work and also library. Jeremy, great to be on this panel with you. Excellent. Thanks, Kingsley. Same I'm also happy to be here with Kingsley. I'm I'm guessing a lot of people have have sort of seen what we've built already uh, because I've it's linked very prominently uh, on your website. Um, but Odyssey.com, O-D-Y-S-E-E.com, is uh, we think the successor to YouTube. Uh, so if, if you're just looking for sort of a YouTube with better policy, you can go on there immediately. Uh, but part of the reason that we think it's the successor is because of this blockchain aspect. Uh, Odyssey is built on top of a Web 3.0 uh, protocol called Library. Uh, and we really think that this is the future. Um, with this kind of technology, we can have a, a level of control that is unprecedented. Um, so rather than needing to surrender, uh, the amount of control uh, that we do have in the past, you know, to YouTube or to these other places, we can retain it for ourselves. I um, think this is very powerful. Uh, and uh, so, yeah, I'm excited to talk about it. Excellent. Excellent. Yeah, we're super excited to have you. And I think that there was a need for this regardless. But as everyone watching knows, the big tech censorship has definitely uh, ramped up quite a bit. So, uh, Jeremy, why don't you start by sharing a little bit about the underlying technology? And maybe you could first just explain what blockchain technology is in general, your interpretation of blockchain technology, and then share why that is, why blockchain is a valuable application for storing media and creating a site where people can access media all across the globe. Uh, totally. Although I want to do this with uh, the preface that someone else's introduction to blockchain may be different than mine. So if this is your first, you know, do your own research and then maybe Kingsley can have some time after this uh, as well. Uh, and I also want to say before I give my answer that you don't need to understand any of this. And so like that, while what library does and what public blockchains are can get kind of complicated, like odyssey.com, super easy to use. My mom uses it. You don't need to understand. And in fact, most people don't understand all of the underlying things that it's doing, right? You know, so in the same way, you, know, you can drive a car, you don't need to know how your, how your engine works, right? So don't, don't let the description of an engine, you know, intimidate you uh, from getting behind the wheel, if that makes sense. Um, uh, but a blockchain is, so in my view, a blockchain is first and foremost, a database, actually. Uh, so that is like, and if database is a, is a hard word, it's a spreadsheet. Like bi all Bitcoin is, is a map of an account to the amount of uh, value in that account, to the, to, the, to the amount of Bitcoin that it has. And so that sounds really boring, right? All it does is, is, is keep track of how much is in, uh, in, in, in an account. Uh, but what's different about Bitcoin from every other database that came before it is we're somehow able to agree 
on how much each account has without trusting the one party, without saying, oh, Mark Zuckerberg's going to have the keys or Google's going to have the keys or whoever. Uh, we've actually built a system where the code has the keys. Uh, we've built a system where um, we can trust that the system has certain properties, but the system doesn't have one single point of control. Uh, this is new. This is kind of weird. If these sentences are new to you, like the full implications of those aren't going to come easily. I'm still discovering them, and I've been in the in the business for or, you know aware of the technology for seven years. Um, and um, but it's a big deal in the case of what what we're doing. We use that property to say that so that so the Bitcoin property is the, the end result of Bitcoin is you have money that that's ca- that you have digital money that's cash like so that is you have a you have the key to send it you retain it and there's not an ability for someone else to reach in and, and drain your bank account the same way there is with online bank accounts and other things so we have this cash like property hey it's mine it's in my vault you know um, at, but we can still send it online. What library does is it says, let's take that same property and apply it to digital content. So what we do is in the same way that you can have that Bitcoin and and have full control over it, we do that, but we allow you to have full control over your publishing identity. So you can have local control over your sort of online, essentially your online identity, uh, how you publish and create digital content. Um, So that's, that's my, that's my answer. All right. Thank you, Jeremy. We appreciate that. Uh, Kingsley, we want to go to a different question for you. And I guess just, well, first I, I want to ask you like, what, what, it, what was your impetus? I think everybody can probably guess it's something to do with censorship, but really the push behind all of your effort to make float.app, you know, where it's at today, which is still a very, a very young company and a very young product. But what is your main driving force to put the energy into this project? Yeah, well, it, it happened with uh, my wife and I. We started developing some, you know, friendships with content creators on on YouTube. People that you know we've known and, and loved watching uh, throughout the years, uh, you know, since like 2007. And uh, and you know, they started. They hit you know 100,000 subscribers on YouTube, 250,000 subscribers, 500, you know, a million. And they're finally getting to the point where they're actually making some, you know, serious money and able to take it very serious as uh, you know as, as a pursuit of theirs. And, and uh, most of these people are just like, you know, independent journalists or just, you know, covering various topics. And we just started noticing that, hey, you know, one day, uh, and this was after, after Alex Jones got, got uh, canned. But, uh, but yeah, one day, you know, uh, one of them got demonetized for no reason. Another day they got deplatformed. They're getting strikes for no reasons. For, they're getting, you know, dinged for stuff that was, you know, five, seven years ago. And uh, and then I also started noticing that a lot of the a lot of the same people or just people across YouTube, they had to start changing the words that they were using just to cover current events, which is very Orwellian to me. And uh, and you know it's just it's terrible as just like a researcher that that's very curious. I've always been a curious uh, person. I've always liked to research into various topics, whether it's health or you know anything that's going on in the world, uh, cryptocurrency, and that that's also getting censored. So, um, so yeah, actually, our company was working at the time on making a, uh, a cryptocurrency wallet when we actually applied to Boost VC uh, that was focused on, on privacy coins and making uh, any privacy coins or tokens uh, easy to use. But, uh, but you know, we just we thought that this was kind of too, too important um, just as something that we, that we should, you know, aim towards as, as far as the fight for free speech online. And also, you know, just recognizing that it's also a pretty big business opportunity. You know, we saw this happening and, and, and credit to uh, to Library and, and Jeremy for even before 
Um, but we saw this, you know, what was what was happening, and, and it, we can we considered that the trend was that it was just only going to get worse, and more people were going to get kicked off. Now we see, you know, grandmothers. I, I think my aunts have been kicked off for uh, for various things as well on on Facebook, and that's really kind of where we're going. We're more focused on like a, a the Facebook feature set as we move uh, forward in the future. And so, um, so yeah, we, we launched, we went through Boost VC and, uh, and, you know, here we are today. And it's just, I, I think right now it's, it's so important and going back to the business opportunity, you know, our, our goal is to get to hundred million users within five years. And if you recognize, you know, Facebook and, and YouTube, so it's the Goliaths they are, that's less than 5% of their user base. So, um, you know, I think there's, there's enough, there's enough people out there, obviously that are seeking alternatives to, uh, to do something good, you know, for the world and provide a good service and a, and a great platform, but also, uh, you know, for the business opportunity, I mean, it's, it's there as well. Okay. Uh, Kingsley, I wanted to ask you one more follow-up and then have Jeremy answer the same thing. So I've, I use both these platforms for the conscious resistance and we're using it for the greater reset. Talk a little bit about what makes float different because float you, and again, that's F L O T E dot app. You can post statuses, you can load images, you can load videos. You can also follow people like as if like a Patreon type thing and, and sign up for monthly support. Talk a little bit about some of the features or just what bring what you're bringing to the table that's different than some of the other alternatives that are out there right now. Yeah. So out of the gate, yeah, we launched with um, regular social networking, stuff like that. Yeah. Just the ability to upload audio images, you know, text, videos. Um, we have a, a crypto Patreon model where you can subscribe to people for uh, a monthly fee. And uh, in Bitcoin right now, we're going to be supporting other other uh, currencies, including Library. In the future, we'd love to support Library. Um, so you can hide stuff behind a paywall for you know similar to pay, uh, Patreon. And uh, we have live streaming. And one of the cool things about Flow too is if you recognize you know which is with with YouTube and all these big tech platforms, they act as a middleman when it comes to uh, not only communication but also transactions. So if you send a tip to someone on YouTube, you know they're Google's going to take 30% of that tip. Whereas on, on float, we take 0%. So we're really just connecting these online identities, these social identities and, uh, and have, you know, the, the underlying uh, payment channel be cryptocurrency, which is peer to peer. And so as a content creator or just a user on floats, uh, you, you'll be able to, you know, collect hundred percent of the general uh, revenue that you generate. So, um, and we're all a big part of us too, is that we're about interoperability. So, uh, right now we have it so that you can, we're build, we're building bridges, not only for uh, what we call like, you know, big tech or old tech or, uh, you know, the, the the previous big guys that, that we're kind of pushing out of, out of the mainstream. But um, so we have a way where you can link your your Twitter accounts to your float account. So when you post a Twitter or post a float, it'll, it'll auto post to Twitter. Right now you can download your Facebook post videos and uh, pictures, your data from Facebook and carry that over to float. We want to become a library app so that you'll be able to uh, to view and engage in, in library uh, content on Float and as well as a bunch of other uh, platforms out there that basically anything that we can really connect to, we'd love to be a bridge and build a, a great UI UX for uh, for our users. In question, what you're trying to do, I mean, obviously you said you want to be a YouTube replacement. You think that's, that's what you're going to be in the long term. Uh, how are you trying to do that in, in maybe a way that hasn't been done? Yeah. Am I on? Okay. Um, <clears throat> so, uh, well, I will, I got, I will give at least. I will give our, our cute quote that, uh, we're, we're the successor to YouTube, uh, you know, not an alternative or a replacement. Uh, you know, I think YouTube gets a lot right. 
Uh, like there's plenty of the UI and the, and the design, like Google's not bad at making software. Uh, although I think given the culture at the company, their future isn't bright. They, uh, but they are, they have terrible policy, right? Uh, and fundamentally their business model requires them uh, to control and exploit you. Uh, it's the nature of the incentives that they have. So uh, the way that we've, what's sort of different is one, it starts with our incentives. Uh, you know, so we're incentivized for the success of the network. We've sort of tied our own hands up front by creating this open standardized protocol. So this ability for us to one day become evil simply isn't there, right? Because um, YouTube wasn't nearly so bad a decade ago. A decade ago, I think YouTube was a really great product. So um, we're not necessarily trying to completely revolutionize the experience. We're trying to change the incentives and the underlying technology. Uh, and we think we've done it in a way that's really substantial and really significant, that you can have this YouTube-like experience, but every creator doesn't have to have Google in, in the middle of this relationship. They can have the relationship directly with their fans, directly with their audience, have a relationship that can't be you know, sort of meddled with um, in the same way. And as Kingsley mentioned, you know, like library, we're, we're very interested in integrating and we're, we're going to have to obviously talk more after this, uh, you know, not live on this session, but I, you know, we want to work more with you guys. And that's the entire idea. You know, your, your library identity, when you're built, when the, when the great, uh, when the greater reset is building up this following, like that's a following that is far stronger than a following, you know, on, on practically any other, you know, certainly any, any web 2.0 platform, in the web 3.0 platform, the following is much stronger. Share, That's the answer. Yeah. Gonna, yeah. <laughs> Can you share with us what the difference is between library and Odyssey? Because I think there's some confusion there. And then yeah. also um, having a decentralized blockchain that's you know sensorless right and immutable it does leave opportunity for some ugly things to be uploaded right and yes. i understand how steam remember steam and then it'd be turned into hive they used yeah. there's a blockchain but then there's these front end portals that could actually block some of the stuff can you talk about y'all's policies when it comes to censorship because i'm sure there's some stuff you don't want to allow yeah. and then also the difference between library and odyssey yeah, so it's actually very um, similar in terms of, to work backwards. It's very similar to Steam's in that regard in terms of how it works. And part of the confusion in the, in our case, in the sense that there's that there's this public blockchain. If people are going like the, we we filter at the at the application um, you know level, we're not going to allow illegal things to be done uh, through our servers. Uh, but there's multiple ways you can interact. Uh, you can interact with, um, you know, with the network. There's not one way. And so that's why the, that difference between library and Odyssey. So uh, library is a is a decentralized uh, blockchain based network. Uh, we launched library.tv, which is what I think when some people say library, they mean library.tv. And part of the reason we think that was a mistake is for that exact is because of that exact outcome. So library.tv along with odyssey.com, these are, these are centralized websites. My company runs these, uh, odyssey.com in particular is designed to be a commercial product. That is like, it's designed to support advertisers. Um, and, uh, and that's a separate thing from the underlying library network. So library is sort of like Bitcoin 
um, and it has it has some properties that are different from what came before. Odyssey.com is a website that interacts with it. It's Coinbase, right? Uh, and uh, and it's going to have it's going to have more rules and all of these things. Um, so in terms of um, so that's sort of the difference between Library and Odyssey in terms of how we deal with uh, content that's uh, against the law. Uh, we will process those reports. Uh, we publish lists of hashes that are known to be illegal or known to be infringing. Uh, users and oper- and node operators who want to operate their software legally subscribe to those lists. Those lists are subscribed to by default. You know, so we're not intending people to use uh, our software in ways that are against the law. Uh, and we're trying to, you know, we don't want people to do that. Excellent. All right. Well, what about a similar question for Kingsley? Do you guys actually have, I know the whole idea is free speech, right? But like I said, there's some ugly stuff out there, not political content or anarchism or conspiracy theories, obviously, but what kind of policies do you guys have on censorship or not censorship, but keeping crap off the yeah, basically the same thing. And we're, we're not blockchain based uh, right now. Um, what we're doing, we're going uh, in a different approach where we're using uh, cloud service providers. We're actually in the middle of, of shifting one because they, they came out publicly uh, about uh, uh, Parler. And they said they, they support a, a open internet, but but they agree with the decision with Parler. Anyway, so um so yeah, we're we're going on a different strategy. We have a lot of, uh, some relationships with uh with cloud service providers that are going to uh, be able to handle you know uh, our our database in, in the way that we need it to be handled. Um, we may introduce a way for users to uh, spin up their own node in the future or something like that. But um, that, but that, you know, that's to be seen and it will be, we, we have our finger on the pulse as far as, you know, technology is concerned and, and kind of this fight against uh, big tech. Um, but, uh, but yeah, we, what was the, what was the other part of the question? Sorry. No, that was, that was mostly it. Um, oh, 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 what about how we, how we handle content or uh, yeah. So we, yeah, again, we have same thing as Jeremy, you know, no one wants to go to prison over, over a post that's, you know, deemed illegal. Um, and we have to deal with it accordingly, you know, we're under duress, but also, you know, we, yeah, we don't want to promote obviously the, the bad things that, that can be posted. Um, but yeah, at the end of the day, it's just, you know, we, we're a U.S. based company, so we, we follow U.S. law. Right on. Um, I'm curious, what is your business model? Cause you guys both have companies. So Kingsley first for you, how do you guys, um, plan to make this a viable company? Yeah, so we have we have uh, testing right now for just uh, home home advertisement or home feed advertisements that we monetize off of. Uh, but what we're doing, we have basically two sets of ads. We have uh, network ads, which we where we monetize off of. So if you think of a, a YouTube video, that's kind of the easiest. It could be a, a sidebar ad, it could be a banner ad, it can be even an ad in the chat or something like that. Our our goal is to always have less ads than the big tech platforms out there. Um, and then we have creator ads, which those go 100% from the the advertiser or the other user to the to the uh, to the other user or the the content creator. Um, so that's that's the main the main way that we're going to be monetizing. Uh, we're monetizing a little bit right now. Uh, we also have uh, we're going to have in app purchases. We'll have a, a premium account, and uh, and you know basically that yeah those are the three main ways. Right on. Let me. Uh, I'm going to share my screen right here and just show what Float looks like here. Um, although that just slipped away. There we go. So yeah, this is the site. And, uh, like you said, you're modeling after, uh, the Facebook kind of flow. And I've been, I have a profile on here and it's actually pretty seamless. You guys are doing a great job. Uh, everything works great. And I think what's pretty cool is because, uh, you know, you and Aaron are crypto geeks and voluntarists. There's a lot of really cool people that are on this platform. So 
That's pretty sweet. How big is y'all's team, by the way? I know you guys just added some members. Tell me about your team. Yeah, so we went from uh, from basically three people, uh, which is pretty ambitious goal to launch a, a social network with all these features of three people. But um, but yeah, now we have we are on uh, yeah sixteen now. So this has just been in the past couple months. So right now we're kind of in a transition phase of moving from uh, one development uh, uh, team to to our new one that's uh, much bigger. And, uh, and yeah, it's, you know, we're going fast. So it's, it's great. We're, we're writing about like a person every, every week or two weeks now. Excellent. Excellent. All right. And, uh, Andrew, do you want to share with us about your business model? What, uh, you guys said you're doing advertisements. Can I advertise on Odyssey? Is that live? Uh, there, there is, uh, some testing with, uh, with advertisements that's live now, um, in the case of library. So Library, the company Library makes Odyssey. So Library has been monetized um, substantially through the token that it created uh, to date. Uh, it's also a VC-backed company, uh, but our intent is to uh, is to make money through um, the sort of branded and more custom uh, app experiences. So through through things like Odyssey, so Library Desktop, which is peer to peer and will always be free and and ad free and all these things. Um, yeah, that, that will always be available for people who want, you know, some of the either extra features or other things they'll use Odyssey, just ease of use. Um, and that we will take a cut of both, uh, you know, either transactions and or advertising, uh, from that site. Tell us about the users can get rewarded with these, uh, with these library credits, That's right? right. Yeah. Yeah. And commenting and stuff. You're better at, uh, you're better at my job than I am. So yeah, thank you for, <laughs> for bringing that up. Uh, and I mean, uh, it's no, it's very good to mention. Uh, so you you can earn uh, cryptocurrency uh, you know, for watching uh, videos like this. Uh, so if you get a verified account, so we do have to have you create a verified account to prevent fraud. And that cryptocurrency is coming from our, our company. Uh, and But we'll give you a little bit uh, just for watching a video uh, every day. Uh, so when the library protocol was created, uh, we retained... Uh, a chunk of the token specifically for this purpose. So this has been the plan. Uh, you know, this is a plan that's been where we've been executing on it for uh, you know four years, uh, where we had to reserve the token and to continue to give it out and, and help the network grow. And we've been very responsible uh, with how we've done it, and we've done it in a sustainable way. It's allowed us to get us where we are uh, today as we uh, really build out this for, you know more full fledged monetization. And there is monetization now. I want to be clear; it's just coming from us. I saw I follow cryptocurrency and all the prices and stuff. And I saw, I don't know, like three weeks ago or something, the price of the library credits really just went up. Is that do you think that coincided with all the parlor censorship or what do you think that's all about that price? Uh, I think that my lawyers say I'm not supposed to talk about that on videos. Uh, uh, <laughs> <laughs> I was like, uh, you know, like I, I can't really speculate. Um, uh, like uh, we encourage people to buy the token so that they can use it on the network. That is the purpose of buying the token. So the price went up because uh, more more people wanted to use it, presumably. All right. Cool. I think it's great. You can get rewarded, but for the content. Derek, you got some questions, buddy? Yeah, I got a question. Uh, Jeremy, I want to start with you and then we'll go over to Kingsley. I actually just happened to see on the Odyssey Twitter account today that said live streaming premiering in two weeks. Is that true? Uh, yeah, we are doing some uh, testing. I wish we'd been a little bit further along, as maybe we could be doing this event even. Although I think um, there are already you know, there's always a couple of kinks when you do something new. So you guys probably wouldn't have wanted to be first. Um, 
we did, I think, our fourth test today. Uh, so we're doing like a test every day or every other day. And we're hoping to roll it out to several hundred creators but to the point where, you know, they can go live whenever they want um, in as soon as, yeah, a couple of weeks. And then, of course, we're going to continue bringing it out and bring it out to everyone. Um, anyone who's been with our, our company has seen the way we work. Uh, you know, we try to move very fast. Um you know, constantly developing things. And we're also, you know, sort of our, our attitude is we can move faster if we sort of give an earlier version of the thing to a smaller group of people. And so we're doing the same thing here. So um, we try, I can't give you a precise timeline because you never know when you encounter issues, but we move fast and we're moving fast on this. We think it's really important. There'd be a place to live stream that's safe. Yeah, I know that I'll definitely make use of the live streaming whenever the feature comes out. Uh, just before we go to Kingsley, any other new features or things that are coming to Odyssey uh, Library that you want to speak about? Jeremy, can you hear me? I can hear you. Oh, I, sorry. I thought you were asking. I thought you had pivoted to Kingsley. I'm sorry. Oh, no. I, was, I want to ask you first because you mentioned uh, live We have uh, Odyssey coming out on, I, on iOS. Uh, so that's, that will put us on all every operating system. We're already, already everywhere else uh, besides that. Uh, we have the live streaming coming out. Um, and uh, what are the other major? I mean, that's, that's two very major features. Oh, playlists. Playlists are around the corner. So that's another major feature in the pipeline is playlists. I definitely appreciate playlists as a content creator. I can say that. Uh, yeah. Kingsley, you want to add anything else? What you guys have coming on the horizon? I mean, you have live streaming at the moment. You have some of these other features. What is the next steps for you guys as far as adding new features for the users? Yeah, I think are you guys, you guys are live streaming on uh, Float right now, I believe. Um, oh, yeah, Aaron sent you a, a tip. Uh, so, uh, yeah, we have, uh, man, this year is going to be crazy. Uh, right now, we're just in the middle of structuring our organization so we can just accomplish as much as we can this year. But we have... Um, we have a token that I, I won't, uh, I, again, it's because of regulations. It's hard to, hard, hard to talk uh, publicly about it at this point, but we are releasing a, a native token on our platform. Um, we we want to become a library app, like I mentioned. Uh, so we'll be hopefully going to be able to integrate uh, uh, libraries, uh, library credits and also library content onto floats. And uh, I, I believe there'll be a way where we can engage uh, with, you know, each, each platform for to the benefit of the users. Uh, we have a marketplace that we're going to be launching. We just signed up a, a really big, uh, or you know, not a, a, a pretty decent size, a merchant that we're very excited about. Um, so you'll actually be able to use uh, floats for in-person transactions and uh, for, with a, with a business account. So you, you'll be able to buy things with cryptocurrency uh, directly through the Float app uh, in person at merchants. And we'll probably have uh, about a, a hundred locations that we'll be rolling that out to in the next, uh, let's say, yeah, six to nine months. Um, and man, what else? A uh, whole bunch of stuff. Uh, yeah, I mean, but that's that's kind of the the main the main things that we'll be working on this year. On yeah, let me um, if the producer will pull up my screen there. Let's go to Andrew real quick, and maybe he could show us around the uh, Odyssey site there. So this is this is what it looks like, and here's our greater reset channel. So kudos to the volunteers and Derek; they have been just absolutely crushing it, uploading content. Uh, can you share, Andrew, some of the stuff that you guys are going for with uh, with the look of this? And I, I understand Odyssey's maybe got a little easier interface. Let me pull. We need to pull Andrew up there. There's Kingsley looking all sharp and snazzy. There's like, what the heck? Why am I on the screen? Here comes <laughs> yeah. all Andrew. Yeah. 
Oh, there he goes. Here he is. Hey, hey all right. Hey, uh, you know, so uh, look, I think the user experience actually is quite similar to YouTube. What's different is what's backing it. We haven't, um, I'm not going to say we haven't done some things that are a little bit different in the interface when we thought we had, you know, had a better idea, but the innovations here are really deeper than the interface, which I think, as I said, I think YouTube gets decent. The innovation is what's underneath. So you go on to Odyssey, like I'm not going to say it's boring because you're going to find lots of interesting things, but but you're not going to have some like exotic, uh, you know, learning experience about how to use the thing. If you've used YouTube, you're going to come out and be like, all right, I know how to use this, right? Except what's different is you're going to find content like this. You're going to find you're going to find the kind of content that you would have found on YouTube ten years ago. You go to YouTube now, you go find Stephen Colbert and you know cooking shit and like whatever uh, uh, Gordon Ramsay, right? Like so come on to Odyssey, you'll find some fun things. And that's the real reason to go there is the content. Right on. I, I realized I just called you Andrew because I was thinking Andrew Kaufman, the I, controversial doctor. <laughs> I, I was going to just roll with it. You know, we're here to talk about Odyssey. <laughs> that name right. So I think I threw my producer off. Uh, let me add, this is a question for both of you, but let's go with you first, Jeremy, not oh, Andrew. Yeah. Yeah. Um, what are you, some of the, some of the risks that I know that you guys you know, kind of inferred about this whole token stuff. So we'll leave that one on the table or not on the table, on the floor. But what are some of the risks that you guys see to this type of business model and going up against big tech? You know, I'm much more, the concern when you're building a company that you want to be used by a billion people is that you don't build a product that's good enough that a billion people want to use it. Like you're not able, like I, you know, the concern about being threatened by the government or big tech or whatever, like I'm, I'm user experience 100% of the way. If I get that right, I'll get through everything else. Like, uh, you know, the building, you know, so I'm not, I'm not thinking about those things first and and foremost is my honest answer. I, you know, I assume I'll be able to solve them. Not that we're being reckless about it. Like we have plans. We're not, not thinking about like, you know, deplatforming these kinds of things, but my thing is grow, 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 get users, get content. That's what I'm thinking about all the time. let yourself go up to risk. But I think with the Freedom Cell Network, a lot of people, when we bring up the idea of a bunch of people working together in a decentralized way, peer to peer, going to the gun range, growing food, some people's first reaction is fear. And that's the paradigm that they operate in. And when that's your paradigm, it takes you out of productivity and proactivity. So I appreciate that response because like you guys are doing good work. You have nothing to be afraid of. Just got to plow forward and, and keep with it. Um, the same question, Kingsley, we'll see if you have the same answer, but are there any risks that you guys are concerned with or anything that you guys are looking out for, preparing for? Uh, well, I bought a few more guns last year, so just in case, you know. But uh, no, you know, I mean, yeah, again, you just got to you got to roll with the punches. I mean, there's a lot of things that are moving very fast when it comes to big tech censorship, uh, you know, potential regulations, um, you know, this current administration. Uh, there's a lot of things, you know, cryptocurrency. So, um, and also just decentralized tech. So, yeah, I mean, we're, yeah, we're in the, in the same boat where we're just kind of focused on, um, you know, just building a good product. We're finally where we're at, where we're, we're starting to build, you know, as a team, we've kind of been kind of scrappy in the last couple, couple of years. So now we're at the moment now where it's just, you know, heads down, let's build this company and let's, you know, come out the other side. And uh, again, I think that um, it's just, there's a big movement overall where, you know, the shift from, I call it like uh, big tech versus small tech or alt tech or whatever. And I think there's just so much opportunity out there. So I'm just, 
so proud to be part of uh, part of this movement and happy to see that you know others are are doing well and now's really our time to shine awesome Great. Okay, cool. Before we let you go, will you both just share with us what a new person can do, what they need to do to sign up on your site? We'll go to you first, Jeremy. Go to odyssey.com, follow the greater reset. If you need more instructions than that, I've failed at our job. Uh, <laughs> you know, I mean, like really it's easy. Just go and, and do it. Right on. Yeah. If you're familiar with YouTube, it's pretty much the same interface, just a lot cooler. All right, Kingsley, what, where do people need to go to check out your work and to get signed up on your social media site? Yeah. Check us out at uh, float.app. That's F L O T E dot app or join float.com. And, uh, my, you know, I'm on there, uh, King and, uh, yeah, uh, join our community. I mean, we, you know, all these platforms need as, as many people as possible right now to test out the features and, and help us make the, you know, the case that, that small tech is, is here to, to here to stay and, and overtake uh, big tech. Right on. And, uh, Kings are being here. Can we get a round of applause for these guys? All right, guys. Thank you for being here with us. Thank you for all the work that you're doing. I'm going to continue to use and promote and support your platforms. And uh, I hope everybody here will. And if you guys are hearing of Float and Odyssey slash library for the first time, check them out tonight because that's where we're putting all of our content. Thank you, guys. Thanks. All right. Thank you. There's me again. I think. Welcome back to the Greater Reset Activation for day four. We're going to continue. We just talked with the CEOs of Float and Library slash Odyssey about decentralizing social media, which we know is a big aspect of this struggle for free speech and to get out important information. Now we're going to go to our next speaker who is going to talk more about not only how do we think about decentralizing and freeing social media, but how do we decentralize the internet itself? So we're going to go to Brady now. Brady from D-Web, thank you for joining us. We appreciate it. The floor is yours, brother. Hey, what's going on, Derek? Um, can you guys hear me okay? Is everything good? You're a little low. If you can get a little closer to the a mic. Bit. Yeah. If I can get it up. There we go. Uh, any better? Maybe? Yeah, that's good. Go no? for it. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, 
so look, guys, I'm just going to have a conversation with you because there is a lot of dry information, um, and I don't want to get anybody too bored on this. So I want to try to keep it a little bit more upbeat, but uh, just remember there's a lot going into this, and like Derek said, you know, there we are completely decentralizing the Internet itself. So, you know, there's a lot of... Uh, well, you know what? Let's just get moving. Okay. Um, so to kind of keep this lighthearted, uh, you know, in some of my digging, I found October 29th, 1969 was the first internet message. Um, it was from UCLA to Stanford, and all it said was log in. Um, and I don't know if any of you guys know, but that crashed the whole system. Um but, you know, D-Web, D-Web is writing the tombstone for the Internet that we know. Uh, you know, the Internet has practically just made a new world, you know, the world that we live in. Um, and it's redirected wealth for several billionaires. Um, you know, so many people have gotten a lot of money off of this. Um, and as we know, uh, you know, the internet, as pro you probably know, the internet has produced six of the top 10 wealthiest people in the world. Uh, one of my favorite guys to read um, when it comes to investment is Robert Kiyosaki. And uh, I read a quote from his that was saying, 90% of millionaires will be created on the internet. I mean, just in the internet, that's, that's, you know, that's a, that's a crazy fact. Um, but all this growth has really come at a cost. Uh, you know, in the beginning, there was a lot of legislation that was passed with this notion that it was supposed to, I don't know, protect the users while handing out this like, like infinite amount of knowledge and freedom was supposed to come with this. But, you know, as the wealth grew um, and the and the online presence of and these businesses really grew, everything started to really break down and disappear. Um, you know, at least for the user. Uh, so these big internet companies began to create like a, just a stranglehold of information uh, that. You know, all the intentions of why the big tech was created um, in the first place was, you know, seems to be lost. And it was like their reason for being was gone. So it's pretty easy now to get on and say whatever you want. And as a lot of you have seen, they'll let you say what you want as long as they agree with you. Um, so, you know, as the users of the internet, we're kind of losing a war that big tech started, uh, you know, in the attempts for them to control us. Now they know what you have for breakfast. They know what route you're going to take to go to work. They can connect you with your high school friend. You know, they can give you the latest laugh at whatever your least favorite politician is, you know. They know how many steps you took that day.
and supposedly all this is free of charge, right? Because their job is to help you, right? Like this notion that they're helping you or that they're making your life easier comes at a cost. Now, we know that all the spying that they've done to help you, right? That came at a cost to the user. The users have been like, like sheep or like cattle being led to their next opinion or to their next vote. And then is auctioned off to the highest buyer. These, these companies who own the internet have gained so much political power that they can silence the United States president, regardless of how you feel about those actions or like, you know, the real thing to notice here is the power that they have. And I don't think anybody would dispute that. Many of us at Arisen have been incarcerated. You know, our freedoms were stripped away from us. Um, this is a hard thing for us to talk about. Um, because it was, it was so damning, um, and it hurt. You know, it hurt us. It hurt our families. Um, but we are able to do something now that they never saw coming. You know, we experienced the funny word we always use for it is the injustice system. So you know, we experienced this. Um, you know, hard at work. And in fact, some of us are still sitting in these eight by 10 concrete boxes. And for as many of y'all that know anything about our company, um, Jared Rice Sr. is one of those prisoners, uh, a, a literal prisoner. The decentralized web wasn't necessarily his idea, but he was the brainchild behind the D-Web and the way that it works. He was stripped of those rights because he tried to change the financial system and he made a lot of enemies. Um, you know, enemies that could fabricate a story that threaten his life. Um, it, it's been hard. It's been hard. Um, you know, he's been there working on the D-Web, you know, in fact, he's got over a thousand pieces of notebook paper writing this code every day so that we, as this community, could move into the future, a future that wouldn't be owned by big tech companies. Jared is not a criminal in the eyes of his friends and his family. He's a humble, generous, funny very intelligent guy. Like I could go on for a while talking about how amazing he really is, but in the end, which hopefully should be soon, he will emerge from all this strife with more passion and more drive than when he went in. He's realized the bigger picture. Um, you know, when he tried to change the financial institute, uh, financial institution, he wanted a better system, but he knew and all the people at Arisen know how best to serve humanity. 
This is an ecosystem that we've created that empowers the people. We aren't starting some fight, but we are offering a real solution for the internet's future. You know, one of the things that we think about is when our forefathers wrote the constitution of the United States, it used to be when a president wanted to say something to the masses, he would write a speech. He would say it in front of the largest crowd that he could. Excuse me. And the newspapers would print everything that he said. And not much has changed. Except the news that people listen to is for the most part called social media. And it's kind of sad, but they hold the power to silence anyone that they don't want or anything that they don't want you to say. This isn't news to this crowd. I know it, you know, this, and this talk isn't how it's not going to be about how powerful these companies are. The previous points were really to illustrate that power and bringing forward the ideas that something has to change. America is being driven It's being driven by this power that the companies and not the user their civil liberties are being broken and they don't have a chance to truly speak. Okay, thank you guys for giving me this platform. Um, I know Derek already kind of mentioned it. So my name is Brady Geyser. Um, I'm representing the D-Web. Uh, and okay, so let's let's cover a couple of things. Um, so I kind of already went over like what needs to happen to correct this corruption of the internet problems, right? Um, so I'm about to go into how we talk a little bit about how our system works. And then I'm gonna to talk to you guys about how the future of Arisen and, and what we've got coming next, right? So first thing, um, let me start. So my catchy little phrase for this is, and I guess you could say, the D-Web is making the tombstone for an old friend that wore out his welcome. And October 29th, 1969, at that point where login was sent and then it crashed to sometime in 2021. You know, at the at the bottom of my read, everyone had a great time until we found out that we were being conned out of our data and intelligence. It's, you know, it's mildly amusing to me because I've had so much fun on the internet as, you know, as everyone has been doing for the past 20 years or almost 30 years, but there's more. And we're bringing to the table something that maybe some visionaries have thought about, but it has never expressed itself in such a an amazing way. All right, okay. So some people might be wondering what the D, the D web stands for, and it's 
it's an acronym for the decentralized web, right? So initially it was called the distributed web, um, but with several protocol upgrades, end-to-end um, -end decentralization, uh, you know, we kind of created a platform where the user can also facilitate small parts of the internet instead of keeping information on servers owned by big tech companies. So the D-Web, we've created a more secure, hacker-proof, genuinely free internet. The D-Web, you know, nobody owns this. You know, there's no CEO of the D-Web. And, and trying to get that across to people uh, sometimes is difficult because, because you always think, hey, a company, you know, somebody's got to be in charge of, of your main product, your main thing. Um, and that's just not true. Uh, it's, you know, the, the D-Web, the D-Web is owned by the people that use it. So um, the D-Web is, it's kind of a combination of like peer-to-peer -peer data sharing, which is like really similar to torrents, like the torrent networks and blockchain um, forming this, you know, this decentralized web that we made. So anything that is done on the World Wide Web, the WWW, can be done on the D-Web, albeit on a decentralized, but still the same thing can apply. We can just move it over. Um, but on a peer-to-peer -peer basis, right? So the D-Web removes the need for servers, no IP addresses, these databases and other centralized web services that are typically used by websites and web applications on the World Wide Web. Like the D-Web replaces these things with decentralized options, these peer-to-peer -peer services and protocols, including decentralized networks and their addresses, our own databases, application execution, our own domain names, we've got currency and payments and authentication and like, there's so much more. Um, you know, I'm, I'm not gonna sit here and name off everything that's on the internet, but everything that you can think of just transitions over. And that gives us a lot of freedom. You know, it's kind of like wanting to do space exploration and then finding a portal to Mars and it's fully terraformed. You walk in and you say, okay, what can we do with this new planet? You know, we know what we did wrong in the old one, but how do we move forward? In the news recently, we've seen Parler, the social media site, and they upset Amazon. And you don't want to do that, especially if you don't have a decentralized web. Because Amazon, their AWS, took it down. And it will probably never be back unless John Matsey Jr. calls us back. We can put him on. But all this action of silencing someone because you don't like what they say is a thing of the past with the D-Web. You know, throw it out. Let's move forward. Because everyone should have that chance to speak. So the D-Web is downloaded along with its browser on your device, assuming you aren't using VPN. 
and then you begin to take part. So the data related to the network operations are stored among users of the network. To take the D-Web offline, you would have to take each computer, each thing that is storing data that's pertaining to the D-Web, you would have to take it offline. The more computers that are using the D-Web, the more computers that are storing the D-Web's network-related data, okay? the more decentralized it becomes. What makes the D-Web harder to take offline is when you, what makes anything difficult to take out is spreading it out, okay? And that that's all we've done, right? So that's, that's kind of the simplicity, but if one of our users leaves the network or goes offline, their portion of the DHT is transferred to another user. So in other words, the more people that use this, the less load it takes off of everyone else who is storing information on their devices. So we use the D-Web we use the D-Web network network addresses network addresses okay which is decentralized uh it's a decentralization it's a decentralized alternative to an ip address on the internet okay so before i go too much further into this let's try to think about some uh some words that you might not be familiar with okay so First one is cedars. Um, so I know what it is theoretically, but I had to look it up because I didn't know the exact definition. And cedars are people who have wholly downloaded the file and are now sharing it with other people. Okay. Next one is peers. Okay. And when a user is running on a computer on the D web, which other users connect to and transfer data, that's a peer. Okay. And you just heard me say it the DHT. The DHT is short for distributed hash table, and it's just an extensive data, excuse me, it's an extensive database of network addresses shared among the D-Web users. You know, each, each of the D-Web, each of the users of the D-Web by design stores and transfer and transfers portions of their own database. So, again, that's that whole idea of spreading it out, right? The algorithm that we have allows the users to store the addresses and all the connection details, right? So, it's the same algorithm that allows the DHT to find a particular user uh, when you're storing these peers, right, uh, or the seeders related to the network, the network addresses, excuse me. So as long as there are users on the on the D-Web, the DHT will remain online, which means that the D, that the D-Web, the network addresses will be located um, you know, uh, 
all along the connection details that are related to the peers who possess the data, uh, like the data that's related to the addresses. Okay, I hope I didn't make that too confusing, but if you need to, go back and watch the video and hopefully it'll make more sense. Okay, uh, so the next one that we're going to move to is blockchain. So I'm sure everybody's heard of blockchain. Uh, some people might be completely confused about it. Some people probably make their own blockchain. Um, it's a really incredible invention. So we call ours the Arisen blockchain, uh, which for a basic understanding, just know that a blockchain is a database, right? And so like, okay, so when the first block is created and new data comes in, a new block is created, but it is chained to the old block in chronological order, right? So the data entered is unchanged. You cannot change it. The entire blockchain is available for everyone to see. We have complete transparency. And we encourage this by exposing the blockchain to everyone who participates with the D-Web. So like you, you don't have to know anything about blockchain to create a new block, right? It, it, it's written for easy access into the system. So by just making new information or by doing something new, it creates a new block that is chained to the old one that says, hey, this is what's happened um, and, and this is what's changed. So you can always reference back to see if all the information is correct. So when you, when you make a new D website, like, it is added to the blockchain. And again, another block is added and another piece of that information is changed. The D-Web is highly integrated into our Arisen blockchain for many reasons, including authentication, um, its ability to allow users to execute uh, small programs. Um, so, it has the ability to store data related to those executions. It has the ability to handle financial transactions. Uh, and fun fact, our Arisen blockchain is really unlike anybody else's. Um, we made it so simple. So like you could have at Brady. Most of the time, blockchains that are utilized are just dauntingly hard to remember uh they're really tough addresses um you know this is just another point of how we're trying to make things easier to transition over to what we're doing um any change to the d website must be signed off cryptographically with a private key associated with their their public account all of these actions are stored on the arisen blockchain without getting too technical just understand that the user's private and public keys are paired with the blockchain, which gives proof that the user is the owner of the account of which the data is being you know, the data is being submitted or ultimately changed. We call this a smart contract. So this is not the code that's relating to the social network's actual app. Um, the 
the information that's stored within the D database. I'm, I'm just talking about the actions that are made on the site, like a payment or a friend ad. Um, I mean, frankly, we don't care about the legitimacy of the app's source code. That's that's on the creator, right? Um, so the next one is D database. Okay. D database is a protocol built to transfer large data sets in very short period of time. In the case of like live audio or video or streaming, everything appears almost instantaneously. Uh, and websites load faster than our counterparts. So the www, you know, everything, or, you know, even the dark, uh, the dark web, everything runs faster and smoother. The D-Web app or the websites are stored in a specific file like, um, like a, a format within the database feed. So the database related to the files of the D-Web or the website is being hosted by people who view or use it. So like, for example, if you have five people uh, and they access a D-Web network address and then they download the, the website files and then these people join the D-Web network addresses, when the user in the future performs an address lookup, they will locate any peers that claim to have data, uh, anything that's related to the website. So. So all this information is going to come up. In this way, like popular apps and websites can be hosted in thousands or even millions of users. Um, this will help the robustness, uh, making the app and website nearly impossible to remove. You would have to take thousands or even millions of devices that are hosting these D database contain uh, the ones that are containing the app or the website files, you have to take them completely offline. We came to the conclusion that it's an improbable task. I'm not gonna say impossible because we are humanity. You know, we can do anything, but when you look at this globally, it, it, it it's just a very slim chance that anything is gonna be able to be taken down Again, unless you collect all of this stuff. Okay, so this is one I kind of get excited about, but uh, this is transactions. Um, and I'm not talking about uh, necessarily payment transactions, but transactions from one thing to the next, the next action. Um, so we can run 3,000 transactions per second, okay, which is... That's a pretty respectable number, but not when you consider that Amazon does 11 transactions per second. Okay, no biggie. There's about 300,000 texts sent every second, 75,000 YouTube videos watched per second, 16,500 Twitter videos watched each second, and about 23,000 swipes on Tinder. 
you get the point. So 300,000 seems like a lot until you start putting everything into play that goes across the whole internet. So there's thousands, hundreds of thousands, if not millions of actions per second. So we solve these by adding branches. So where each branch can do an additional 300,000. So it's, it's this tree of infinite arisen transaction branches that's already growing. If apps use one of the arisen branches, it would still be subject to the root network uh, and their governance. Since the network addresses and the domains associated with the apps are made available by the root arisen blockchain. So again, that's kind of why this, this tree metaphor is so helpful because we've got our root and then you've got everything else that continuously branches off of it. And from those branches can continuously branch off and so on and so on. Uh, the next is usability. The example of the D-Web's resiliency is due to the fact that each D-Web user stores a portion of the D-Web's DHT, which remember means distributed hash uh, table, excuse me. You can think of it like um, if Mr. Derek and I have downloaded the D-Web and its counterpart, the D-Browser, when we create our own websites separately, both of us would be announcing uh, on the D-Web our network address. At this point, the DHT would consist of these two addresses. So assuming we're the only two on there and we've got these two addresses. The DHT is designed to spread its data across the D-Web's users and always be available in the most ordinary of circumstances. So like, so if I was to store information from my site on my device and I would store information from Mr. Derek's site and vice versa. So let's assume that my computer goes offline, uh, power outage, whatever it is. And then, so Derek's computer would pick up the slack for that. Um, and he would store the data for both of us. So in these odd circumstances, assuming we're the only two people on the D-Web, um, which I don't think will ever happen again, it's that's long ago, but in the circumstances that I go offline and Mr. Derek goes offline, so does the D-Web. So everything stops with the users. Similarly, if the D-Web has 1 million users and 5 million network addresses, each user would store the data related to a handful of network addresses. So this gives us the added benefit of the more users the D-Web has, the more difficult it is to take offline. The D-Web and all of its files are hosted among the users of the network. I was recently asked by Mr. Derrick, somebody said, 
if the D-Web is using Amazon servers on the back end, what makes them think that they're safe? Can't Amazon still do to the D-Web what they did to Parler? So if you've been listening and are able to pay attention so far, you should be able to answer this by now. Let me first address the problem with the way that that question was being phrased. The D-Web is nowhere on any servers. The D-Web is 100% hosted among the users. Now, on the very, very front end, yes, you do have to download on the Amazon-based servers. And as much as we'd love to avoid that, the logistical reality of sending flash drives with the D-Web file contained on it, sending it through the mail to everyone who wants to download the D-Web, that's a bit impractical, right? So we could certainly put the download available on the dark web, but that's a little unrealistic as well since most people probably don't feel comfortable getting on that, nor do most people have the know-how or the basic knowledge of using an onion router. So when the word gets out, really out, and the D-Web becomes commonplace, we will eventually pull away from Amazon services. We do consider this topic to be our only real point of failure. Um, you might be asking yourself, who has access to my computer? Um, it looks like I'm running short on time, so I'll try to push through some of this. Um, the quick answer is no one has access. So when someone says, I want to go to this website, they reach out. And basically, the other computer gets a knock and says, hey, do you have this information? The, the computer that has the website of interest says, yes, I do have this information. Would you like it? The requested computer says, yes, I do. So it sends it over. Now, all this is being done in the backhand, so you don't, you know, you don't really see it, all this stuff. But the only thing that they have access to is that piece of information. There is no way to reroute or get out of uh, that request. And that's the only way to access into somebody else's computer. Um, and of course, this is all using you know that fun little binary computer language. Um, but the point is this, is no one's peeping, no one's hacking this. This isn't that kind of service. There, it's not possible. So uh, let's move on to the next part, payment. Um, the source code for all the web apps, the websites are all open source. Developers must decentral or must use decentralized payment forms, such as like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Monero, Doge, like all these blockchain-based cryptocurrencies will work with the D-Web apps. Uh, and the websites. So platforms like PayPal, they require you to integrate with their API, which is their application program interface. This integration requires a secret key to be placed on the source application. And since the code for D-Web is completely open source, all these secret, all these secret keys would be exposed to the public 
and they're not cool with that. So, you know, we're okay with not using PayPal. Our RIX, our Risen RIX, works better anyways. It, it works better for our D-Web. So we developed the D-Wallet, which uses uh, our cryptocurrency. Um, like I said it's Arisen RIX. Uh, we're developing this a little bit further, uh, the wallet. Um, kind of together so that we can, so that your wallet will be able to maintain all of the the other cryptocurrencies that we accept. Um, anything that doesn't require an API, uh, the API key. Rx is the preferred method of payment while using the D-Web. Like, it's extremely, it's highly integrated into the D-Web. Our, our currency allows for a better experience. Um, say for instance, uh, there's some kind of fraud, right? So uh, you try to buy something, you give the guy money, he doesn't he doesn't send it. You can show proof that the that the fraud is there. With the RAX, we can reimburse you. It makes it so much easier. We can't do that with Bitcoin. You know, we can't do that with with some of these other ones. So it gives you that added advantage of of the currency being backed by something. Um, Okay, let's move on to the governance. I feel like that's pretty important. Um, so we have 21 governance members. Every minute, there is a new democratic election process happening. Arisen's governance ensures that 51% takeover is never possible without the Arisen blockchain's users approving this. So it's, a, it's completely a community-ran operation. At any moment, you can view the D-Web's currently elected governance members in the D-Wallet uh, for the for the desktop. There's an easy, an easy voting interface. Um, if you would like to become a part of the governance, just simply download it, install Arisen, go to the wallet, and announce yourself. Um, it'll kind of walk you through the steps if you're interested. Um, so the governance, their big purpose is to answer the call for a removal of something. So usually it's a legal activity on the D-Web. Arisen has its own built-in reporting system. So everything's powered by these smart contracts I talked about earlier. See, that's where everything kind of ties all together is on this. So all D-Web apps have this integrated with a report system so that their users can report illegal content uh, to this global reporting system. User interfaces are being built around the reporting system so that the entire D-Web apps and websites uh, can quickly be reported for any illegal content or activity that's out there. Now look, of the 21 governance members, a threshold of 15 governance members must vote to keep or ban a website. The D-Web's DHT is what makes the banning all possible. Um, we can skip past this. Okay. 
I want to make it clear, though, that we are very liberal when it comes to what's allowed. We built this system to protect your First Amendment rights. This is obviously the most crucial thing for our American forefathers that wanted to keep. uh, That's the most important thing that they wanted us to keep. Sure, the other amendments were important and very essential, too, but this one keeps an honest discourse. To say you want someone silence keeping this conversation, keeping a conversation is vital to the health of any country, any organization. I can go on and on, as I'm sure all of you could as well, about how important keeping the conversation open is. But there is a line. Um, We don't believe in harming or exploiting anyone. Uh, After that, you've crossed the line. An easy, quick removal, uh, for example, would be like child pornography or some other kind of illegal offense like uh, like drug trafficking. Um, and, And all this is covered on our Constitution. As soon as you sign in, it says, hey, here's our Constitution. Do you abide by this when you come in? It's very simple. Give everyone their rights. Don't hurt people. Uh, you know, it's it's not in some BS lawyer terminology that very few people can actually understand. And we just want you to click past it just so you can continue on the next page. That's not what we're doing. That's not what we want. We want you to look at these and say, you know what? This is a system that I agree with. And they have a more a strong moral backbone. Hey, Brady, I, I want to yeah. thank you so much for joining us. It sounds like you guys do like a social contract and everything. We got to move on yeah. to the next uh, steps in the production. But, man, yeah. a lot of people are really blown away by the implications that the D-Web has. And it's a it's a it's a readily available technology right now. Right. Absolutely. Yeah. It is ready for download. Now, if anybody watched my talk with Derek before, uh, you guys know that it's not perfect, but it will be. It is. We're constantly fixing the kinks and moving forward. It's excellent. It's coming. It's. I, I mean, it's here. The future is here. We just got to join. Cool. Um, what's the best website on the centralized web that people could access uh, and learn more about what you guys are doing? That is objectable, but I feel like peepsx.com is the easiest. Uh, it's, it's got everything you need up top. Um, just kind of keep clicking on stuff. Just keep finding new things because there's a lot of there's a lot of information in there. Um, and if you click on a dead link, check back next week. Check back in two weeks. We're bringing it forward. It's coming. Awesome. All right. Well, thank you so much for joining us and spending some time with us, Brady. Wow. That's man. I know that a lot of this technical stuff when we go on the technology day can be a little bit confusing or like whew, over some people's heads, but that you know. Like, um, like Jeremy was saying earlier, you don't have to understand how your car engine works to feel good about driving your car, right? And just to sum up, essentially what they're, the work that they're doing is instead of having centralized servers that host information that you access through the internet, it takes that information, it distributes it and decentralizes it. So it's much more resilient and resistant to censorship. It can't just be shut off because Amazon thinks it's a bad idea or Google thinks it's a bad idea. This is the way 
wave of the future, whether it's currency, information, internet websites, it's a very beautiful thing. And freedom is definitely winning because this technology, the cat's out of the bag and there ain't no putting it back. So we want to thank you for tuning in in to the, the Greater Reset Day 4. There's still much more to come, so stick around. We'll be right back. And we're back. <laughs> All right, folks. Hey, check out this really sweet shirt I got. Man, it's a good-looking guy. It's a good-looking shirt. You can't lose. You can get this shirt and one with the Greater Reset logo at thegreaterreset.org slash shirt. Thegreaterreset.org slash shirt. All the profits will go to support the Freedom Cell Network and the Greater Reset. All right, this next speaker we're going to be hearing from, he is a friend of mine, and he has just been all over the place when it comes to cryptocurrency, decentralization. I really appreciate the work that he does because it all centers around decentralization. And there's this dichotomy, centralization, World Economic Forum, globalist, New World Order 2.0, and decentralization, cryptocurrency, D-Web, Freedom Cells, Decentralized Social Organization, and it's a very beautiful thing. He co-founded Decentranet, which is an institution that provides financing and support for blockchain startups, all sorts of cool stuff. They do work with the startup societies as well. We're going to be talking about decentralized communities and alternative social governance tomorrow. Um, And he also... Uh, hosts the D10E conference. And this guy's a master networker too. He's somebody that's really good to know because he'll put you in contact with just about anybody for just about anything. So we're super pleased to have Matt McKibben. He's going to be talking to us about encryption, practical steps that you can take in your daily lives to have more privacy on the internet. Thanks for joining us, Matt. Thanks so much for that amazing uh, introduction. I really appreciate that, John. Um, And it's great to be here on The Greater Reset um, what's, uh, what's funny. You have, you have the greater reset. I have a t-shirt that, uh, says the, the world, uh, economical forum, the most economical forum in the world. It was kind of like a pun. So I, I thought of that, um, uh, when you did the greater reset, it's cause the world economic forum is not very economical, uh, as you might imagine. Um, so I'm Matt McKibben. Very nice to meet you. Um, I've been in the blockchain and cryptocurrency space, uh, since 2013, uh, I kind of learned about that from, you know, the Ron Paul movement and understanding central banking um, and all of the, the bailouts and everything there. And it, it really drove me into this type of activism where I really care about economic freedom and uh, self-sovereignty and eventually data ownership and, and, and understanding exactly how much data we're producing as people. I've got my, my own, own your data t-shirt uh, on here today. Um, and uh, today is, you know, International Data Protection Day um, or Data Privacy Day, if you will. Um, so I'm really uh, pleased to be able to give you this, you know, data ownership uh, 101 talk. And so let me share my screen and make sure that this will work properly. I tested it out. Um, so let's see, is that working properly there? All right, cool. Um, and I will do the view percent. Okay, cool. Awesome. Awesome. So the title of this talk is dance like no one is watching, but encrypt like everyone is, uh, and happy international data protection day. Um, uh, you've met me, so let's move on to the next one. 
All right. So to start out, just to kind of comprehend how big this market is, data in 2017, The Economist wrote an article that basically said data has become the world's most valuable resource. It's no longer oil. It's no longer the energy market in that sense, but data. And that was, what, four years ago now? Uh, And as you can see on the slide, they have these uh, oil rigs represented by the uh, large data companies, Amazon and Google and Facebook and even Tesla and Uber there, uh, because the whole business model of these companies is to collect as much data as humanly possible or as robotically possible, if you will, um, on uh, on you. And there's exponentially more data that's coming out about you. We have new devices in our uh, thing. They vacuum up as much data as they possibly can. It's their entire business model. And it's the reason why a lot of their software is free because you're creating a ton of amount of value for them and you are the product in a, in a large way. Um, I want to give a big kind of shout out to, to uh, Shana Zuboff, who uh, wrote a book called Rise of Surveillance Capitalism, um, and basically about these types of business models that were initially supposed to just improve the product incrementally uh, from the amount of data that they're collecting, and it became something completely different. It became just total surveillance of what we're doing and pure profit off of surveilling everyone and everything. So if you haven't had a chance to read that book, I would go out and, and check it out. It's, it's, it's really interesting. So what are some of the types of data that people produce? I mean, everyone's got a phone in their pocket and it's got a microphone on it and it's got your location data and it's measuring every single click and point and, and scroll that you're doing. Um, you've got cookies on your browsers. You've got pixels uh, from, from Facebook that's tracking you all over the internet. We have more and more uh, types of Internet of Things or IoT devices. As you can see, you've got the the Google Home, Siri, Alexa. I mean, everyone kind of has had that moment where they have a conversation about a random thing, and then you start to see ads about that thing. And it's because it's listening to you all the time. It's collecting all of your data. Um, Location data, every single place that you go, every single person that you interact with when you're close to them. Um, shopping data, loyalty card, think about all the things that you do on Amazon, uh, political data. How, what, your, what are your political beliefs? What are you, are you, what are you paying attention to? Who do you support? And this is just some of the types of data there. I mean, everything that you do is data in the world and it's exponentially growing. So I want to talk a little bit about the, like the past 10 years about kind of the, 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 has this amount of data creeps into how much data is being collected creeps into the cultural conversation and and what's going on so snowden revealed that a number of different things but the public became aware for the first time just how much data was being collected on people and basically one of the biggest things there was the prism tool uh used by the nsa was collecting all the electronic data belonging to users, could access your email, access your Facebook, your Gmail. Um, and it was the latest evolution of the, the post 9-11 electronic surveillance um, uh, that President Bush did in, under the Patriot Act, and then Obama and Trump and everyone continued uh, in there. And they were doing it with uh, the Intelligence Service Act, like the, the private courts. It wasn't even understanding what was going on there. So Another really big 
monumental thing that happened in the past, what, three or four years was the Cambridge Analytica data scandal. And this was, this really showed how much data that Facebook had onto you and then what the data was being used for. And in this case, Cambridge Analytica was using it for political advertising. So they could really understand exactly what would make you tick or what would make you go out to the polls, what would maybe deter you from going to the polls, which would be voter uh, voter suppression. Um, and so this scandal really brought into the, the cultural consciousness, the privacy and social media's influence on politics. Um, and it sparked the on your data movements uh, and the delete Facebook. They made uh, the great hack, which was a viral um, <clears throat> Netflix documentary. And then Brittany Kaiser, who's also my partner, uh, wrote the book Targeted. And she was one of the, the, uh, the whistleblowers uh, of Cambridge Analytica and really just showed exactly what they were doing and how they were manipulating everyone. So what did we learn from these types of uh, <clears throat> revelations? We learned what data was being produced, who was collecting it, uh, what is it being used for, um, and that we're not being compensated, uh, even though it's the most lucrative industry on the planet. Um, we, what do we want to move forward? How do we want to control our data moving forward? We would want transparency, like what is being collected about us and where is it being stored and how is it how is it being stored? We want to be able to opt in and consent in some way to the data being collected on us. And then if we can get paid for the data that's being collected on us, if we can opt in and consent, we could potentially have a monetization model, a data dividend potentially. Um, and this would most likely be mediated by a blockchain and cryptocurrency network because you can do international payments almost for free. And this data in itself, you know, it, it could potentially be something that provides universal basic income or universal earned income, which is what I like to say more than the basic income, because there are a lot of people, billions of people effect that are living on a dollar a day. And if some of this data is worth $10 a day, perhaps, this could uh, help solve world uh, poverty. If you're going to be collecting the data anyway, um, at least let people opt in, consent, and then get paid for what they're doing. As we collect exponentially more data as well, they could be getting paid more. So in the recent news, we've had the WhatsApp uh, data or the WhatsApp uh, terms and conditions change. So I'm imagining that most of you, when uh, terms and conditions come up on some sort of piece of software, you don't actually go and read all of those pages. And I would imagine that 99% of the people on the planet that actually, even if they did read them, they wouldn't understand them. It's all in legalese. Um, and so that's, I mean, you're not really consenting to something if you don't understand it, you're not reading it. You wouldn't read, if someone handed you a contract, you wouldn't just go and sign the contract without reading it. But that's basically what these uh, companies are doing. So, um, you know, before the Wall Street bets stuff going on, which is like the newest uh, craze everyone's uh, talking about, this WhatsApp terms were really, really uh, going viral on, on the planet. And uh, so this chart, you don't have to read the, the bottom part here, but kind of shows how much data the app has on you when you use it. So Signal is the best one. It has no data linked to you. iMessage has a couple of different things. WhatsApp has a, you know, a moderate amount of stuff. And then Facebook Messenger pretty much just has as, as much possible things as they can collect on you. And so with these change of terms, 
um, there was a website uh, called Nine to Five Mac that put this out, and basically they said that uh, the column three turns into column four when these uh, conditions are. Uh, changed over. So they're going to have so much more information on you. It's still potentially, you know, and then encrypted, they say, but they have a lot of information on you. So with that, there was a public awareness and backlash um, uh, around this. And, you know, Elon Musk tweeted, you signal he's been doing a lot of uh, Twitter activism lately. Um, and signal, you know, hit like 50 million installs on the play store Um within a week of that. Uh, so it even says data privacy for the win. So amazing that, that it, this is entering into the cultural consciousness and people are actually paying attention. So what can we do now that we know and understand like how much data is being produced and it's exponentially growing? What can we do to fight back? Uh, and so I'm going to give a number of different easy to use tools that if you haven't checked out yet or you're curious about, um, you can go and search for yourselves as well as uh, a couple of different projects that I'm personally working on in the blockchain and data ownership space. So messenger apps. So the ones that I was taking a look at signal, we know it is, it's encrypted end to end it's open source. Um, and it's the most popular one. Um, it's a nonprofit organization that's running it as well. The signal foundation um, and I believe that even uh, coming up soon, there may be a potential for transferring uh, cryptocurrencies through it through a, a project called MobileCoin. Um, Threema is another one. I'm not that familiar with it, but it's open source, it's end to end encrypted, um, and it came highly uh, recommended from a number of different sites that I checked out. Telegram, I'm not a fan of Telegram that much. I really don't like the app, I don't like the UI. Um, it says that you can have encrypted chats uh, amongst uh, you know individual people. The group chats are definitely not encrypted and can be read by uh, whoever's running the app. Um, so you know a lot of people say you know it was created by these Russian you know hackers and that all the Russian oligarchs uh, can uh, see what you're writing. So just be careful on that one. VPNs are another amazing tool that you can use to hide your traffic uh, and be private. Uh, so it's a virtual private network, allows you to create a secure connection with other, uh, over another network over the internet um, and is used to be like region restricted websites. So if you wanted to be placed in Canada and that's where your IP address is coming from, you would do that. Um, a lot of people in China obviously use VPNs so that they can actually see what's going on in the rest of the world. Uh, what do you want to look for in a VPN? Um, and the number of servers that it has is a, is a really big uh, thing. Uh, the location of the servers, where they based, so that um, if they were to have the state come after them, um, uh, do they have strong privacy laws in that jurisdiction? Um, and then the privacy and logging uh, considerations. Are they keeping logs of your activity? What info, how long, and where is it stored? Um, so the ones that I've uh, you know seen and recommended, Proton VPN is really good. I use ExpressVPN. Uh, they don't keep any logs. They're in BVI, um, and uh, they have a, a, a tremendous amount of servers. BVI has a really good privacy uh, jurisdiction. NordVPN came highly recommended, and then Tor browser. So a lot of you know this was you know back in the beginning of like the dark network uh, markets and everything. Tor was. The, the, the gold standard, a lot of people say that a lot of the uh, federal agencies run Tor nodes now and it's not safe. 
Um, and then there's a new one out, uh, Orchid, which is a decentralized one that incentivizes you to run nodes um, with its own cryptocurrency. Um, and so I, I wanted to put that one on there because I, I do like the decentralized ones wherever uh, I can get them. Data privacy encrypted email services, as I mentioned before, open source and encrypted and, and two-factor authentication if you can get it, because otherwise if they can get your password, they can get in. Proton Mail is uh, one of those based in Switzerland. Um, Tutanota, I had not heard before, but open source and encrypted. And then Librem One was one that I saw, and they have a whole suite of different tools that plug into their uh, Purism our peers have built it and plugs into their like fork of Android that's been de-Googled. So that was a really interesting um, email and other services that I found. Browser search engines. Uh, we've got, you know, Google's tracking everything you do on the internet. When you use Chrome, when you search, they're tra just tracking absolutely everything. So alternatives for search and browsers, Brave Browser actually pays you to see ads uh, with their bat token. DuckDuckGo is a good uh, private search. And then pre-search just came out with their decentralized search engine um, today, yesterday, th this week. Um, and they allow you to help run the nodes, to run the search engines, um, and you get paid for searching on there. So shout out to Colin Pape of pre-search. Uh, I really love uh, their app as well. Social media. So uh, I know that this has been in the news a lot with Parler being shut down and with people being censored all over the place. Um, there's a lot of them coming out and they're saying that they're decentralized and they care about your privacy. And I think a lot of them will, um, but uh, I don't know what's going to rise to the top kind of thing. Um, what to look for at privacy built in. A lot of them have say they have no ads, so they're not selling your data to advertisers. Um, many of them like voice will pay you for your content um, and then decentralized are they built on a blockchain in some way? I don't think that a lot of the blockchains have really scaled to that level yet. Um, but given the censorship that's gone on uh, recently and the, the problems with content curation and fake news, I really think that there's going to be some open source social media protocols that come out uh, for content creation. Uh, and we're going to be able to see apps built on top of that. And I don't know that it's going to look anything like the traditional ones out there. Um, but I, I firmly believe that there will be something built on top of a public blockchain, maybe Cardano. Uh, Charles Hotzenson has been doing uh, a number of really good uh, videos on YouTube about this. Um, he's a brilliant thinker and mathematician and uh, one of the founders of Ethereum and now uh, uh, Cardano. So um, check out some of his uh, stuff on there. And then, of course, Float, um, a big fan of Float and, and what, they're, what they're doing over there. Uh, password managers, I figured I'd throw this in because if you're not, you don't have a strong password, then your accounts are going to get hacked and it doesn't matter that you're encrypting anything anyway. Um, so these are the three main ones that I had seen. I, I've used LastPass and 1Password before um, that are, are secure. So you want to have a long and complex password um, and you want to have two-factor authentication. Ideally, a YubiKey is really good. A piece of hardware device for your two-factor um, to, is the best kind. Otherwise, you can have the um, like Google Authenticator or Authy um, to get that second code. Um, here we go. So I wanted to mention a couple of the companies that I am working with that are building next-generation uh, products. 
So uh, memory.cloud, you can sign up for the beta there. They're going to be released um, uh, in probably sometime in the summer. But basically, memory is your own personal online data store. You can put all of your, you can port all of your information from all the different services into one. Uh, data can flow bidirectionally and can can be posted onto other networks. And then through that, <clears throat> they have this is encrypted. You can store it on you know a decentralized kind of server. You can store it at home, um, and you you can really through machine learning algorithms and uh, you you'll be able to really understand what's going on in your world with all of your data and then get insights on the different parts of it, um, as well as they'll be able to privately understand the insights from everyone's data on all their pods without uh, without breaking their privacy. So definitely check that out. Um, threefold Tech is a decentralized uh, compute and storage layer. Um, basically, it's the, it's, the, it's the largest decentralized cloud storage in, in on the planet at this. I think it's over 100 petabytes and 22,000 CPU cores. Um, but basically, they're building a serverless architecture for um, uh, decentralized compute and storage. They have devices all over the world um, and uh, they're growing very rapidly. Um, they're actually raising around to scale right now. Uh, so for accredited investors that are interested in that, um, you're welcome to uh, chat with me and we can uh, chat more about that. And then the Own Your Data Foundation, I've been working with Brittany on this, but we need to really empower the next generation to understand and improve their, their digital intelligence so their DQ, uh, if you will, you have your IQ for your, your regular intelligence, your EQ, and you have your DQ. So things that they that you can teach your kids, and they, they have classes uh, at the Own Your Data Foundation that will be going out to um, elementary schools and eventually high schools. Um, they talk to you about your data rights, your cybersecurity, online ethics, how to be an ethical person online, effective communication, and the technology um, proficiency. Um, so really proud of Brittany uh, and what they're doing there because we really need to teach the next generation how to use these types of technologies and be intelligent on uh, the internet. So that's the end of my slide presentation. I'm really, really happy to have been able to present this uh, tonight. Hopefully you learned something. Um, my email is matt at decentranet.com. Twitter, you can tweet at me there. And yeah, Decentranet's our firm and we help uh, early to mid-stage uh, blockchain and uh, psychedelics companies grow. Um, you gotta have gotta have the psychedelics, the the sovereignty of mind and finance there. So um, I'm happy to answer answer some questions um, on here. I can stop sharing my screen, and um, if there's any poignant questions, I don't know, John, if you're moderating that, or if I can look at uh, uh, the comments here. Yeah, we'll feed you some questions. Um, I think Derek Bros actually had a question. If he uh, can chime in, and then sure. go ahead and folks post your questions in all caps. Questions in all caps having to do with privacy, encryption, all that good stuff. Great. All right. Hey Matt, thank you so much for sharing with us yeah. today and uh, all the information you brought in there. I had one question. Um, I know that you're a big fan of Signal, and I think many of the people in this room and people watching at home who do pay attention to privacy and data security when it comes to messaging services are probably familiar with Signal and uh, the protocol in open whisper systems. So my first question, I guess it's a two-part question. First is, what are your thoughts on the, the kind of, I guess, more recent app session? And 
on top of that, after your thoughts on session, what are you, uh, your thoughts on, if, I'm not sure if you know the journalist, uh, Yasha Levine, who's written the book Surveillance Valley, that does a lot of great research documenting how most of the tools that we use, including the internet, do have a, a history coming from the intelligence community. And so he recently wrote a piece about a week and a half ago with the kind of surge of interest in Telegram and Signal saying, hey, uh, I think you should be a little skeptical because of some of the original funding, um, having relations to the NSA and things of that sort. So your thoughts on Session and then anything you want to say on that whole signal? Yeah. So I'm not that familiar with Session uh, in itself. Um, I would love to take a look at it. And it, is, it, is that says a recent uh, um, uh, it's a recent app or a recent protocol? Um, so Yeah, uh, it's, it's a new one. Like okay. in the last month or so, I've heard of is it. Is it open source? Yeah, it's built on the same same protocol as Signal, but they, okay. they claim to have extra layers of security. Okay. No, yeah, I, I don't know that much about it. And uh, I'm, I'm, yeah, I, I would love to take a look at it and would love for, you know, ultimately the community of hackers to vet it. That's the, be the benefit of open source is that, you know, you want everyone to be able to try to break it, right? Um, and that's how you try to trust something. Um, and then, yeah, I mean, I know that some of the best uh, um, tools that we use today definitely came from the intelligence services, uh, uh, GPS, and a lot of the uh, um, <clears throat> Google Maps stuff. Um, as far as I know, I mean, the uh, <clears throat> as far as I know, the like encryption still can't be broken on like uh, PGP and all those types of things. So, I mean, if they can, then they can break a lot of other types of encryption. Um, and I would imagine that, uh, uh, some of those teams are still safe, but, uh, who knows what they've got running in the background. Uh, and then do we want to do other questions? Do you want me to just read some off or how do you want to do this? I can't uh, hear you. Aha. There that go. was, again, the NSA, man. They're just all over. Awesome. Up. <laughs> um, what do you look for in a solid cryptocurrency project? And what are some red flags that cause you to run the other way? Uh, solid cryptocurrency project. I really like um, projects that have a successful team that have been in the industry prior or some successful exits uh, like other investors or advisors. Um, I like, you know, with the, with the token specifically, uh, if you're going for, I mean, if you're going for a utility token in general, um, that you really understand what will happen. Like you can't be like the value of this is going to go up crazy because X, Y, Z that, that makes it kind of a security. So understanding there, um, I really like things that are forking the some of the DeFi projects now that are DAOs um, because that's where the real innovation is going on. Some of these projects are going from what would take, you know, an entrepreneur is like, I'm going to go raise money and I'm going to go build this and I'm going to go like, you know, exit sometime. We're seeing these DeFi projects get, you know, and, and that would take like an entrepreneur would take years to kind of do that. We're seeing a DeFi project go from like nothing to like launching and having hundreds of millions of dollars locked in it in a, in a month. Uh, and the pace of innovation there is just staggering. So um, anyone that's, that's playing in the DeFi stuff, I really like uh, that uh, specific. And then anyone that's uh, in, ensuring, you know, data sovereignty and, uh, uh, decentralized uh, ownership of your data or uh, anything. I really like those. Um, 
Excellent. Questions? Uh, I'm not seeing some solid questions, <laughs> um, but I got another one. Do you have any, can you just kind of riff on the, the balance between privacy and convenience? Cause like I'm a father, I'm an entrepreneur, super busy. Um, you know, my game isn't that tight when it comes to encryption. I still use Gmail. I've been wanting to set up a proton mail, right? Yeah. Sometimes I use Google search cause I do duck, duck, go or the alternatives and the, and the stuff that comes back isn't as satisfying as what I'm looking for. So do you have any insight or advice for people that are struggling with that balance between convenience and privacy? Yeah. I mean, so it, Right now, the best tools are definitely in the people with the most data, and that's that's going to be the way it is for a while. But if you want to cognizant, like if you want to have your start de-googling yourself in some way, you can start by you know trying one service out here and there. Um, the most convenient things are definitely going to be the ones that are yeah collecting a lot of data right now. But I think as new and new new projects come out soon, and more and more of this comes into the cultural context. Um, there will be things that will be as useful uh, in in the future that you'll be able to use. Um, I use Google. I still use Gmail too. You know, it's okay. <laughs> we'll let it slide. We should be ashamed of ourselves. I have a Proton Mail too. I just you know I, I I use I use them for different things. Okay, and then just to recap, so what's your opinion on the best encrypt, encrypted email service? I, I really like Proton Mail. I've been using that for a while. Um, but I think the other ones, like I said, I looked, I did a lot of research. They're they're open source, they're encrypted end to end. Um, and a lot of them use the ones that use uh, uh, PGP or, or GMPG, the ones that use the open source uh, kind of PGP models are definitely um, very secure. We got Da, da La 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 Man. <laughs> search engines what search yeah. engine do you like well, i really love pre-search they just came out with uh, a new and decentralized one DuckDuckGo is is all right i mean i still use google i still have some of that google stuff uh you just got to be able to know what's i mean god for google it has all the ads on the top right uh it's hard to see what's actually up there for real and what's not um but uh pre check out pre-search if you haven't tried it out and you can i mean you get paid to search so what about your favorite browser I use Brave. I'm on Brave right now. Yeah. Um, and uh, But I would imagine that there will be some competitors to Brave at some point uh, in the future. Um, uh, but Brave, I mean, Brave works like Google for me. I mean, you have all the same uh, uh, add-ons and extensions. Uh, it works really well. It also, like, for me, it doesn't take as, as much of my RAM. Uh, and I get paid to, to browse. It's not that much money. Maybe it's like 20 bucks a month. But, you know, that's, uh, yeah. It, it, that's a lot of money to some people uh, and yeah. get you a meal. Yeah, it's better than no money. Okay, one more question. This is a, a good one. One big issue is how to leave your assets to your family after death. Some encryption make it almost impossible to access it. How to go around that? Yes, this has been a problem in the cryptocurrency space since uh, <laughs> the people started looking at it. Um, you know, you can definitely, if you have trusted family members, you can write down your, you know, uh, your 12 word or 24 word seed codes and put it into, you know, a safe fireproof safe um, there. Um, and then I believe that there are going to be some like if, if you have a lot of assets, you can pay for those types of services that will uh, figure it out. Give the, the, the copy of everything to a trusted, you know, legal um, uh, power of attorney there. But it's really hard because they could go steal it if they wanted to. 
Um, and so, uh, you know, that, that's the trust thing. So, um, I think Pamela Morgan, uh, is someone that has been talking about this since really 2015, 2016. She used to, to talk, uh, hang out a lot with, uh, Andreas Antonopoulos. Um, and I bet she has a lot of this on her blog. So Google Pamela Morgan and Bitcoin. Awesome. Well, right on. Hey, I want to thank you so much for spending this time with us. I think you really shared a lot of useful, practical information that people can use and implement in their lives. Thanks so much, Matt. All right. All right, ladies and gentlemen. You got some bros? Yeah, Andy, man. bros, live free. <laughs> thank you, Matt. Everybody want to give a round of applause to Matt for that information. Lots of useful tips. Do it. I really hope everybody who is listening around around the international community does take in those tips. Some of these conversations today, we're dealing with a lot of technical things that is a foreign language to some of us and is really familiar for others. So I do invite you to, of course, watch the clips tomorrow. Tomorrow we'll have them all uploaded on our Odyssey and Float channels, of course, and you can find them there. You can find them through our website. So... The next two speakers, the last couple speakers for this evening, I'm excited about this because they are here in person in Ziwa with the rest of our community here. And they're going to continue this discussion on decentralization, on blockchain, on how we can use technology in a liberating way. And I, I, before we get into the next speakers, I did want to kind of just pose some, some questions out there because clearly I am a person that embraces technology. I use technology for the great tool that it is. But I also do have kind of my own limits and boundaries. Like I don't carry a cell phone. I don't use a cell phone because it's just I just one of my personal decisions to keep me from being plugged in so much. Right. I, I, I just there's certain things I askew and try to avoid. And I want to have start having that conversation as well. Right. Because we're talking about privacy and we're talking about decentralizing social media and the Internet itself. We also have to ask ourselves in what role are we playing in this whole thing because we do play an active role one way or the other. So if we're putting Amazon Echoes in our homes and Alexas and if we're putting doorbell cameras in our neighborhoods, they might seem useful. But if you've, if you've seen any of my journalism on this, I've been researching it for years. Just as an example, briefly, Amazon has created this facial recognition software called Recognition. It's spelled with a K-R-E-K. -E and they've been selling it to police departments all around the country. At the same time, people are installing the Ring doorbell camera, which is now owned by the Amazon, and other similar doorbell cameras. And at the same time, the police departments around the country are starting to ask neighbors to voluntarily let the cops feed into those cameras. So you might be on the opposite side of the street, and the police could be feeding into your neighbor's doorbell camera. And now imagine as all of those doorbell cameras are getting connected to police databases, government databases, and then you add Amazon facial recognition software on top of them. I mean, we are building the, the surveillance state. In a lot of ways, we are the ones contributing to it. Yes, it's voluntary, but we need to think about that. Maybe every time the latest new tool and gadget comes out, whether or not it's worth losing more privacy, you know, because at the end of the day, we do have, a, a, we have the power to shape how much information we give away and how much we choose to keep close to our chest. And in our digital world, we're constantly, you know, giving information away. That's why we're on email lists and all these different things. And it can be very dangerous as we're starting to become more aware. So I just want to get those thoughts out there, really thinking about what role technology plays in your lives, which ways are good and positive, and which ways maybe we need to make adjustments. So 
I'm going to go ahead and bring up a recent friend, somebody who I'm getting to know lately, who is a really brilliant mind and has some, some great ideas to share with you guys. He is here tonight representing the Governor Dow team, and he's going to talk to you all about DAOs, which are decentralized autonomous organizations, and how they can be applied not only for the system and the kind of network we're building, the Freedom Cell Network, but for your businesses or for your, your family or your relationships or your office, whatever it may be. He's going to talk to us about a lot of these exciting ideas, and we're going to hear more. Please welcome to the stage, Ark from Governor Dow. Awesome. Well, I think he might have just did a better job than I did, so. All right, so I'm going to talk about decentralized autonomous organizations and how that all modern businesses and organizations in the future will all go this direction for a better decentralized future. Um, so what is a DAO? A DAO is an organization that's free from centralized control. So since a DAO is on the blockchain, it's decentralized uh, by nature, and it's not governed by one centralized entity. So it cannot be shut down, and it cannot be stopped. Another powerful part is that it's autonomous. So it uses smart contracts that work automatically to execute the code. And um, the organization part is it's governed by its own set of rules and you can decide the rules of the organization uh, to uh, different kinds of participation on voting. So the, the main thing is DAOs are, uh, they, you get a governance token, and that is your vote. So if this was like an election that you wanted an honest election, then a DAO is uh, going to be one of the best places that you can utilize this because your vote actually counts. So like, let's, let's pretend like uh, the U.S. government wanted to do an uh, actual legit election. So they would give an address to every single person with a social security number, um, a vote token. Everybody has one vote token, okay? And uh, everybody that's alive and currently would be able to, would, would get this token. Then you would just go on the, on the internet, you can choose like A, B, or C, whatever, but your vote gets signed on the blockchain and is immutable and you can't take it off and it ensures a fair election. This is just one example of how decentralized voting uh, can happen on the blockchain. Um, DAOs also, uh, like I said, they're, uh, they're autonomous because they execute smart contracts automatically. So there's no need for a middleman uh, to, to, do, to do anything. It's automatic. So even if businesses do not want to be decentralized, they're all going to go this direction in the future because it's going to save tons of money and they're not going to have to have uh, lawyers, CEOs, uh, CTOs, or anything like that because the community actually runs the entire project. So the community members have, have uh, all the power. So the people actually get the power. So this governance token that all DAOs have, 
are immutable and they're recorded on the blockchain forever. So proposals on the, on the blockchain, basically the, the direction that you want the DAO to go, the community votes for this. So it's, it's important to educate everybody on exactly what you're voting for uh, because you can set it up to where however many people need to, uh, like a 50 or 60% need to be passed, that could be a proposal. But no matter what happens, the proposals always get implemented. So the community and organization chooses the direction of, of, of the progress instead of just like a few people in a room you know, deciding the entire, you know, course of action. A DAO is the community run, so, which is great. So everybody that holds uh, the token has, has, a, has a stake in the network. So you basically own a, a proportion of the network. Okay, so that's just a little bit about what a DAO is. Now I'm kind of gonna I'm gonna talk about what Governor DAO is and kind of how it started. So Governor DAO was actually uh, started from grassroots community pro uh, project. There was a previously another project called CB DAO, and CB DAO in, was going to try to be the DAO of DAOs. It was gonna have a sandbox to where you can try all sorts of governance uh, models, you know, participation to see which wor works best for, you know, the community. And this project ended up uh, doing a rug pull and it took everyone's money. So, and a lot of people lost millions of dollars. So we decided as a community to, to get together and actually do this ourselves and revive it. Um, so, there was a resurrection that happened, and we we uh, we created Governor Dow from the ashes of another project called CB Dow. So it, it's it's community driven and grassroots from the very beginning. And uh, so one way of how these the, the governance tokens get distributed because it needs to be a fair distribution is that uh, there's a thing called liquidity mining. And this is a decentralized finance that we have. So basically, you can mine the governance tokens by depositing or staking the, them on, in, in your, from your wallet. So you can, use, you can do this by depositing like popular uh, cryptocurrencies like Bitcoin, Ethereum, Chainlink, uh, multiple others, and then you get rewarded uh, GDAO tokens or governance tokens, and this is your voting power. So this way, there's a fair, even distribution of tokens that runs for like three to four months, so everybody has a chance to uh, collect these tokens. And this is how voting works with your tokens. So once you get your tokens, you, get a, you can vote with your tokens, with a snapshot that happens at a certain time, it takes into account all of the tokens on the blockchain at the time, and you're able to cast your vote with the power of the amount of tokens that you have. So 
one token is worth different than a thousand. So it encour encourages people to, to hold tokens in, in the network and the community. You also get rewarded. It encourages participation and good behavior in the community. So you get re rewarded in the native governance token. So it encourages you to uh, help out the community and, and, and as much as possible in order to, uh, to, to reap the reward. So the, the main thing that's important in a DAO is everybody has a say in a DAO instead of just, you know, a few people deciding the entire fate of, of everything. Oh, I was going to also mention that this was a, since this was a community grassroots uh, project, then it can, you can also use a DAO for previously existing communities. So for an example, we can use Freedom Cells uh, for, for an example. So Freedom Cells could, could form a DAO and they could have a sale token for all community members to vote on. And you can also use it for a currency within side of the organization. So you don't have to use the fiat system unless you want to. So we have technologies now that you never have to use the current fiat system ever again. It, it's a completely decentralized uh, way of life that's, that, that we've been building. So, yeah, so, uh, so this is just actually a really cool science experiment to see how to see how voting and governance, you know, will work without uh, an actual government and people telling people what to do. Because uh, we at Governor Dow, we believe we can govern ourselves, and we don't need, you know, dictators telling us what to do. So you can create your own rules, and and have a you know a, a legit so, a sort of democracy based on what the community wants. So basically, it's all about what the community wants. Anything that you want to do for the project will get voted on, and then the developers will implement that after it's voted on. So having to, a, a, a say in the direction of the community is, is pretty awesome. All right, can we get a round of applause for Ark being here with us tonight? I, I have a couple questions, and if anybody here with us wants to ask questions, or anybody online, we'll, we'll be watching the feed right now if you have specific questions. I want to ask you a question, though, brother. So he mentioned that Governor Dow could be used for a freedom cell, and you could generate a coin if somebody wanted to that could be used in different ways. But let's talk a little bit more specifically. And in, in what ways would you say, what are the benefits or, you know, a couple of benefits of 
choosing to use something like Governor Dow for my freedom cell, my group of seven to eight people? Um, you know, what, what benefits could I gain as far as trust or maybe other ways using Governor Dow as opposed to not using it? You know what I mean? Like, how could it improve our, our work together? Uh, so, you, so you could use Governor Dow just to be a part, just to be a part of the community. Um, but if you want, if you already have an existing community, then uh, you could you could you could release it that way. But you would basically be piggybacking on our current existing community, and you can create sub DAOs. We're eventually going to be able to let people make sub DAOs within. So you could have like a sub sub uh, freedom cell DAO or something like that. But you would be piggybacking off of our, already our existing tokens and our community. So that, that's pretty much what you would be piggybacking on. And so by using, because Governor Dow is on a blockchain, right? Yes. Yes, it's on the Ethereum blockchain. So by using that blockchain, is that going to, like for instance, in the, in the area of trust, right? If we have a freedom cell of seven to eight other people, maybe we, our first meeting, we decide on what are the principles we're interested in, right? Or the, the projects or the goals. By using Governor Dow, is there a way we can kind of incorporate that to just have a place that is like block, you know, like blockchains are an immutable kind of un, you know, unchangeable place where we can put our principles or our projects or things like that? Is that could it be used in that way as well? Yeah, that, that's actually what it's intended to do. Is for so all the votes can be looked back on and be counted for. They're all public, and also uh, what DAOs don't have right now, and what I want them to have is a like privacy layers because right now there's no privacy on Ethereum pretty much. So a lot of the DAOs are lacking the privacy aspect, but what they do really good at is, is everything is public as far as votes go, so you can see exactly uh, who voted for what and when, and it's, there's no arguing, it's immutable, so there's, there's no way elections could be, you know, for example. So this, like I was correct earlier, then I said it could be used by businesses or any type of organization. Yeah. Cool. John, did you have any questions you wanna, you wanna pose? Let's see if we can get John on the screen. Or anybody here in the, in the audience have a particular question? I'm not sure how experienced people are with DAOs in the first place. I mean, how long has the concept of DAOs been around? Just a couple of years, right? Yeah, uh, well, in 2013 actually was the first uh, mention of a DAO, and that was by Dan Larimer. And basically, uh, he didn't come in any use of it, but in 2016 was the first DAO, and it got hacked. So DAOs got a bad rap for a long time. Most people didn't want to do it again. Um, but now DAOs are coming back, and mainly because, you know, it's like small businesses and, and all organizations in the future, if you don't want to be censored and you don't want to be shut down, definitely should look into forming a DAO. And in the future, it's actually going to be a lot easier to, to create a DAO. Like right now, you have to have a lot of programming and solidity and stuff on Ethereum. But in the future, then there's tools being built right now to where you can just choose what you want your name to be for a DAO, and then you push a button, and then bam, you, you're gonna have a DAO. So this is in the works now. Eventually, this technology is gonna come out to where you don't anybody can form a DAO and be on the blockchain. I have a question for you. Um, can you share a little bit more about that tale of what happened with that original DAO? It was a big smart contract. People put millions, tens of millions, if not hundreds of millions of dollars. It was on the Ethereum blockchain. And then it got hacked, although maybe it just there was just an exploitation in the smart contract. 
And then Vitalik Buterin, I don't know if he had consensus when he did this, they actually rolled back the Ethereum blockchain and basically undid that, which defied the whole principle of something being immutable, which is you can't go back and change things. Can you riff on that a little bit and maybe as a cautionary tale, share what a crypto community or a community can do to avoid that? Was it just Vitalik had too much power in Ethereum or what? what's that all about? Uh, yeah, that instance, that was Vitalik. So like if if we wanted to do something for our DAO, since we're built on Ethereum, we couldn't fork that or anything ourselves. So that was because of uh, how, with the position that Vitalik was in, that he was able to do that. And I think that's also why Ethereum Classic split off from Ethereum a long time ago is because it kind of went against the definition of what a blockchain was supposed to be. A lot of people believed that uh, you, you should be able to go back and change things because it's supposed to be immutable by nature. So that was the argument uh, on that and that part. But we couldn't do that ourselves since we're on Ethereum blockchain. That was kind of a special, uh, special event that happened. And I don't think it can happen like that again uh, because that was early on and Vitalik had a lot of pull back then. Let's get a round of applause for Ark with us tonight from Governor Dow. We hope everybody at home who's watching will check out Governor Dow. I really do think that this is probably not just Governor Dow and what ARC's working on, his team's working on, but what decentralized autonomous organizations represent as a threat to power, to central, central organizations like banks, governments, etc. I think we are really just seeing the beginning of where this concept's going to go. But thank you guys for being with us tonight. We're going to go to a quick break and come back with our last speaker, Ramiro Romani, talking about the above ground dot market. We've talked all about social media and the Internet. We've talked about decentralized autonomous organizations. But how do we exchange goods? How do we exchange goods using technology and alternative forms of currency in this digital age? We're going to talk about that next. Stay tuned. We'll be right back for the Greater Reset Activation.
so free. Zewatanejo, man, is the place to be. So won't you come along? Come along with me. Embrace the sovereignty, decentralization, and liberty. We can do it if we do it together. What's up, John? What's up, at D Bros Live Free on Twitter? How you doing? <laughs> I'm doing good, man. It's night four of the Greater Reset. We're really excited to be here. And uh, I'm excited to have our crowd here in person. We've got a lively bunch of people who are glad to be hanging out. I don't see many masks in the crowd. I don't know if I see a one, but we see a lot of free people, so that's cool. And uh, we're happy with everybody who's watching and listening all around the world with their family and friends. We still want to see, this is our last speaker of the night, we still want to see pictures of your watch party. So please send them in to our Telegram channel or email our website, wherever you can. We'll try to get them and post them tonight. We've been getting lots of good pictures. Anything else you want to share, John, before we bring on our last speaker? 
I'm just curious why you guys didn't bust this camera out before. It looks crystal clear, super sharp. Thanks, John. <laughs> Although you might, I think you on the settings, you should be able to take off the display, but it's, we're, it's fine. we're working on it. We're working on it. Look at this. Well, hey, I'm, kudos to you guys from Central Texas. <laughs> I purposely wanted to be in this studio here because it would be a lot easier. So, kudos to you guys for hosting that in person event. I think with the with the great reset, what they want to do is stick everyone behind their computer for work, for school, for everything, maybe even for pleasure, like in Demolition Man, if anybody's seen that movie. So, uh, thank you, Derek. For, for uniting everybody down there. I think that human connection is absolutely critical and we can't lose lose touch of it. Yeah, I think we're enjoying the human connection out here. Yep. Thank you guys. And you're really you're you're really right about that, John. That is one of the reasons. So what we're doing here, they call it in the industry a hybrid event. The uh, virtual screaming to people all around the world, but people being in person and encouraging watch parties. And that was an important aspect of us doing this when John and I were first kind of going back and forth on this idea. It was important to us to encourage people to get together in person because, as he just said, a big part of their agenda is telehealth, telemedicine, teleeducation, everything distance learning, everything online. We don't ever interact in person. We don't ever hug each other or see each other's faces. And that's not the world we want. So we're trying to bring people together. And thank you, everybody, who's participating in that. Now, without further ado, we're going to bring on our last speaker of the evening, who is another brilliant mind as, as everybody we've heard from tonight. And as far as this project goes, the greater reset activation, the freedom cell network and our event here, he's, he's one of our all-star, you know, lead team members here. If you've been enjoying the freedom cell network website or the greater reset website, if you've recently joined the freedom cell network and you like all the features we have and the way we're trying to make it more interactive, our next speaker is the man to thank for that. He's the person behind the scenes. Please welcome Ramiro Romani. Hey, y'all. Thanks, Derek, for the great introduction. It's, uh, it's amazing to be out here tonight. I mean, I think it's always interesting. We, we tossed around the idea of uh, having a conference in person and, and <laughs> catching cameras around here. And uh, two months later, you know, it, came, it really came together. And I think it was beautiful to see the community have a, both an individual part and come together and create something so beautiful. And I hope people around the world understanding that they, they can do the same things themselves. So uh, to introduce myself, I'm Ramiro Romani. I've been uh, working with the Freedom Cells team and the Greater Reset uh, for about the past three months. And uh, kind of part of that has been getting those properties up to scale, but I've also been working on my own adventure called AboveGround.Market, which will be the first way that you can buy and sell products for cryptocurrency on the service web. All you need is a web browser and a wallet. It's gonna be really cool. So. Um, I'm the sole engineer on that, and we're building out a team. Um, so we'll talk a little bit more about that later. Okay. So my talk was originally going to be a lot different than what I ended up today, but week was so busy, and I saw so many different parallels across the different days. And what I ended up on was it feels like the greater reset is a game that we're all playing. And a lot of us are playing it like a prisoner's dilemma. So what do I mean by that? Well, I'm sure you've had these idealistic conversations with your friends, about what a perfect society would look like. And when I, when I talk about it to my friends, you know, I always bring up agorism, volunteerism, and uh, anarchy. And I, I'm always wet with resistance because um, even though these people, these are great people and my friends, they resist the idea because they have a belief about how society works at the, uh, at the global level and also at the micro level. They, they feel like they know how an individual will act. But unfortunately, they're coming from a perspective which is modeled like the prisoner's dilemma, which is really like us versus them. 
So just to explain what I'm talking about a little bit, prisoner's dilemma, pretty simple. Uh, two guys get caught for a major crime, but there's not really much evidence on them. There is evidence for a lesser crime. So they're both in the interrogation room and they have, they have this choice, right? You know, they can either go ahead and uh, they can tattle, you know, they can snitch on their partner, their partner in crime. And um, that way they'll get off scot-free, you know, they won't be in trouble. Or they could cooperate, they could cooperate with their partner in crime and uh, essentially only get charged for the lesser crime. So, first of all, am I right when I say that that is a pretty shitty game? It's a pretty bad way to live. Well, I think it's a really bad game, and uh, yet our systems push us to thinking that this is the only model. Um, and that model is actually applied directly. So we see that in Canada already, right? Where people are snitching on their neighbors in order to feel safe. Or um, so for personal gatherings or calling their phones to their neighbors. And other places in different spheres, now we see this model starting to take shape. Where and in China, you know, um, Christian who spoke earlier this week, uh, he, he brought my attention that uh, China basically banned all animal, animal agriculture for over 40 species and that's you know that's millions of people depend on that for their livelihood and so now this prisoner's dilemma takes place in their communities where they have to decide hey um, am i going to report these people who are just trying to um, you know do their work or am i going to take the safer option for my own good so this even applies digitally right and now this um this prisoner's dilemma is popping up everywhere look at the u.s department of treasury we saw through its influence um cryptocurrency exchanges completely wipe all privacy coins from the market just no explanation nothing pull uh, pulled coins like monero and dash which really can't be traced to individuals off the market and they started adding regulations for more privacy so now if you're if you have a wallet on an exchange and you do a transaction for you know three to ten thousand dollars you have to have your identity verified not only you which are part of the exchange but the but, but your counterparty in the transaction even if they're using like a uh, if they're using a custodial wallet you know they're um they're not part of the exchange they're going to need your identity they're going to need your partner's identity and so it puts you in this risky position where you um you know you may buy from someone but they may not get your coins until you actually verify your identity to them those coins might be frozen whatever so um this is a model that this personal dilemma that we also see in the european union's new resolution um, on encryption which basically they say they're going to collude with large tech joints and the, the quote is this competent authorities must be able to access data in a lawful and targeted manner and they mean to do that through an encryption backdoor. So it's okay that companies like Facebook, Google, Amazon, they can have their encryption, but you know, um, the government just wants a piece of the pie. They wanna be able to read the data behind the scenes and get information on the people uh, that they feel are important. So all of, these, all of these different prisoner dilemmas are playing out on different spheres, and it just feels like we're being forced to make a choice. And that's what I think the, pr the premise of the Greater Reset is. We have a choice to continue in this dilemma, in which we join these prison systems, or um, and we join these prison systems, and we try to cut out others who are also trying to escape, or there's a choice to start anew, and maybe that starts by not, you know, uh, reporting your fellow friends and neighbors and people in your community, but taking more of a personal responsibility for our health and freedom instead of just uh, relegating it out to a central authority. And there's even the possibility that if both you and I decide to start anew in this dilemma,
that cooperating would lead to a better outcome than the original dilemma, right? You remember the, uh, if both prisoners, if both prisoners cooperated, you know, there's still evidence for like a lesser charge. What if there's an even better outcome where both you and I cooperate, neither of us get caught, and uh, there's more prosperity for both of us. So that's kind of what I'm gonna talk about today. Uh, this entire dilemma changes, and this new one, the preferred outcome, is mutual cooperation. And this can actually come from a self-interested and rational manner. If we cooperate, and we know that the best outcome for both of us is to cooperate, it turns from a prisoner's dilemma into an assurance game, which is kind of, is kind of a different sort of game theory. So I'll go over the examples once again, you know, if neighbors cooperated together and you weren't worried about your neighbor telling, you know, telling the authorities how many people over at your house, you'd be able to do anything you want at your house. I mean, honestly, that's a right, an unalienable right we've been used to for um, as long as anyone can imagine until past year. So I don't know what changed. Um, if we had that if we had that assurance game, you'd be able to feed yourself and not have to tear down your own agriculture, right? We've had uh, three great speakers do a panel on agriculture, and we see that there is attack on animal agriculture and even your own sovereignty to grow what you'd like. So this is all stuff that is coming. Okay. If users of cryptocurrency decided to cooperate with each other against the restrictions and this, this form of cooperation with your prisoner actually deals more with refusing to deal with exchanges that are taking down your identity information. Um, these people, in turn, that, that cooperate would have access to an isolated free market void of restrictions. So obviously, creating this assurance game is easier than some spaces and others. The penalties for not for, for cooperating will get worse. You know, there's fines. Um, Houston, where I'm from, uh, a lot of restaurants are getting large fines for not shutting down. You're getting $250 fines for not wearing your masks. So you are essentially trading risk for profit, which is a fundamental theory of counter-economics. But as penalties get worse, the potential for a better system grows alongside it. And uh, me and so many of the people who have spoken today are showing you these better systems. So the choice is yours. Are you going to join or are you going to stay? Um, as someone who is already aiming to cooperate in this new system, I have an incentive through this assurance game to give you the awareness and tools that you need to become fully a part of it. And where I feel most comfortable giving you advice is the digital domain. Um, we have had a lot of speakers, too, that have given you great advice, so I'll try and keep it short. But when thinking about our own sovereignty, when, um, when it comes to not only avoiding, but having complete control and responsibility of your digital presence. You can think about it as a set of layers, which, you know, you also think about the internet and the OSI model as a set of layers. But the most basic being the physical infrastructure itself until it moves up into abstraction to what you might see on your phone screen or your computer screen, right? Um, and there's similar layers that exist for our digital properties and identities and the way we communicate with people over distance, right? As in there's a whole foundation you need to have if you want to live in a system with free and open com digital communication. And part of that is doing the work. So at the most bottom layer, there's obviously the power systems, which feed our phones and computers. I don't really know much about alternative energy, but just be aware that you know it depends on power and it's crucial for communication. The next layer is the hardware that powers our machines, processor. Uh, the large majorities of CPUs since 1995 have had vulnerabilities. Uh, these modern, these modern uh, CPU architectures have also allowed for attacks like Spectre and Meltdown, 
which uh, give attackers access to data that they should not be accessing. So it could be read to use your passwords and encryption fees, and it's considered to affect most types of processor architectures. This is something that's been around for such a long time and is still not getting patched on most operating systems. So uh, the more you inform yourself and educate yourself about your operating system of choice, the better. Most operating systems have installed patches to fix it, which is fix meltdown, which is the most scarier vulnerability of the two at the cost of performance. Um, so the next layer after this is the operating system layer, right? What, what, do you, what computers do you use? Is it Windows, Mac? Are those the only two choices you have? Well, if you're a Windows 10 user, you should know that in Microsoft's uh, service agreement, they say they will access, disclose, and preserve personal data, including emails, private communications, files, when they believe it necessary to comply with the applicable laws. So just putting that out there, right? You're, uh, uh, this is like evil user interaction design, but you're automatically opted in to 28 different categories of data that they're harvesting for you, and you have to opt out, go through all the menus, there's that. There's Cortana, which is built into the operating system itself, and to disable that, you know, you've got to go and uh, disable some registry keys, and it ends up breaking the whole Windows Update system. So it's obviously not designed to really be composable, and the telemetry will has like a, uh, it's a pretty significant portion of the operating system, right? Mac OS is no better. Uh, this year, Jeffrey Paul, a software engineer and security researcher, did an article called "Your Computer Isn't Yours." where he showed how every macOS registered a unique ID for every application and then sent an unencrypted message to Apple's servers uh, using your IP. So what does that mean exactly? Well, I think we have had several people say it, but they know how you're using your computer, when you're using your computer, and what you're using it for. Um, and it's very immensely powerful. And I'll go into more, too, how really all the inputs of your computer can be used in conjunction. Um, uh, Matt mentioned, uh, who talked earlier today, mentioned Prism, which Apple has been a partner of since 2012. That's U.S. police and military can have access to your data without a warrant. They act like, you know, um, they're against the FBI and fight for user privacy, but the, the things they've been involved with should give you doubt. There's better solutions out there. You know, I've always encouraged people to use Linux with compartmentalization software. Uh, Linux, is, uh, the different flavors of Linux are just a better as uh, there's open source software and any new additions to the code at least have some sort of community oversight and, and people get angry and you know, there's just smarter coders looking it over. So you have that on your back. So right now the two best choices are Hunix, Hunix, W-H-O-N-I-X, which runs a virtual machines that applications can't, base, uh, can't break out of. So applications are just forced to communicate through the core protocol. There's also Cubes which runs another environment and a, uh, in a virtual environment. And Cubes is cool because it deletes all of your data when you end the session. So um, about op open source operating systems, so Ubuntu, which is a flavor of Linux, you know, uh, Can Canonical, the company that creates Ubuntu, uh, they released an update that basically sent global search requests to Amazon and the open source community found out about it and they raised a, like they raised the stink of it right and they reverted it so using open source technology over closed source technology is a no-brainer you don't know what they're doing if you can't see the code so there's another layer above that right we've just gotten we've just gotten to the computer itself and the operating system uh, what the, what services do we choose to use how tied are we to Google and Apple and Microsoft Word? Uh, I mean, they're good. They're good tools. They, they're, they're reliable. But we don't need to use them all the time, especially for the things that are personal and important to us. You know, they don't need to know us better than we know ourselves. 
There's private alternatives, right? You can host them on your own machine, and if you're paying monthly cost, um, you, I mean, sometimes you can just buy these softwares outright. So you can host something like CryptPad. CryptPad is what we're using for Above Ground Market and uh, for a few other projects where, which actually secures all your documents with an encryption key. So no one can see the documents except you and the people you decided to share your encryption key for. If you don't trust CryptPad's central servers, you can obviously host CryptPad yourself. You can use a solution like Unohost, which allows you to take a server and run a bunch of office applications on it. It's really cool. There's obviously uh, like a startup cost required and more responsibility, run, responsibility needed to run your own servers. But at least you have at least you have the sentiment that your data is completely yours, right? So there's uh, also email services. Um, C Templar is the one that comes to mind. I really like it. It uses a 2048-bit uh, encryption, and it has a no data retention policy. So when you delete the data, you know, it's not cached anywhere. It's not archived anywhere. It's, it's deleted, and it's based in Iceland. And, uh, yeah, I really like that company. Do check them out. Lastly, there's your phone, which are they're the most, really the most compromised devices out of all, and they're with us all the time, so that's scary. Android was sued in November of last year. Google, Android Alphabet, was sued after having a passive, they did a study of the phones, and they saw that there was passive data retrieval up to 260 megabytes a month without the phone being used at all. So that should send you some warning signals. Like, why is, why is it sending so much data? Um, the more troubling part was, why was that none of that disclosed in any of the terms of service or privacy agreements? Then there's apps like Snapchat, which have taken you know, the center stage. Everyone likes having their face on camera. They love those um, overlay feeds, which kind of study uh, study the, your facial structure and then I'll create images on top of that. I always get annoyed when uh, my girlfriend, she, she has us on Snapchat because I'm like, oh, damn, my face is on there. But uh, these feed, like these cameras, um, these apps can mine your facial recognition. And not only like, you know, not only do they have your face, but they have your emotions when you think about it. Snapchat uses this data to target its ads. When it shows you an ad, if your like, face is like, oh, what's that? Or like it's happy, they can literally tell how you feel about different content and things. Now realize that your phone's camera is open all the time. You know, They don't make phones with hideable cameras. They only do it with laptops. OnePlus, which is a phone, it's a Chinese uh, phone manufacturer, they used to make a pop-up camera you know, that went up and down only when you used it. They don't make those anymore. Uh, I, don't, I don't know why I didn't catch on, but it's obviously immensely powerful. If you want to see a demo of this, that, you know, um, an independent project supported by Mozilla, you could go to stealingyourfeelings.us. I think, I think that's the URL. But essentially, it's a, it's, a, it's a webcam mic, and they show you a bunch of things, and they're able to tell your, like, do a performant emotional analysis based on the data you see. So, with that together, everything you browse online and getting your own uh, facial responses, it's scary because I feel like they might know me better than I know myself. And I don't like that one bit. Luckily, there's new solutions for all this stuff. Um, we have alternatives. There's Librem 5, which is, an, which is a phone that's uh, designed by an independent and crowdfunded team that has an open source operating system and physical switches for stuff like camera, Bluetooth, microphone, wireless internet, even the modem. So, you know, you kind of control when it's communicating. There's PinePhone, right? Which gives you a choice between seven different, 17 different operating systems and more kill switches, a removable, removable battery, which by the way, why don't they make phones with removable batteries anymore? I don't know. But uh, these phones, you know, 
you, you are trading more setup for privacy and control, but they do provide alternative app stores like F-Droid, which is actually amazing. I found awesome apps on F-Droid. Um, man, what's that called? There's, a, there's this YouTube app. The name doesn't come to me right now, but it kicks YouTube's ass. Like, <laughs> it, and it doesn't play ads, right? Um, so going back to the assurance games that I was talking about earlier, when we make the switch to these new systems, we've got to be aware of who is on the old systems. Because if you really want to have sovereignty over your communication, then you can't necessarily communicate with someone who's on the old platforms. And so you have to be very purposeful about that. Uh, communication between those parties might be compromised. So you just got to be very careful about information that you hold sensitive. There's, um, there's also an additional game uh, with these independent teams that are managing this, um, this independent software that's not part of big tech, these phones that aren't manufactured. Um, the more we support these companies, the more we research, the more available and affordable these phones are. So please do your research. Look into you know, Linux alternative phones. Um, and they're quite cheap. They're, they're like $200, $300. Um, when we're playing $1,000 for these flagship phones. So it's, it can be a win-win. Okay, so there's all these things we use to communicate, and finally, we're at the, we're at the top layer. Um, and there's the internet. Obviously, we've had some people talk about uh, D-Web today and the decentralized internet. That's ex excellent. Uh, I think there's technology like mesh networks we need to look more into. I unfortunately did not get to research that part of this talk. But we've covered a lot in the past 30 minutes. Why am I telling you all of this? Well, I want you to be ready. I want you to be ready to join the alternative when it comes out, but even joining requires the operational security. Everyone who spoke today was working on alternative platforms, and we're not competing, we're playing the game of mutual assurance. The more platforms there are, the better for our users, the more competition we're gonna have, we're gonna be pushed to provide the best service. So now I'd like to tell you about um, my venture, Above Ground Market. We have a very small team. I started this in October after talking with Mike Swatek, who spoke earlier in, in, in the session on Monday, I think. And uh, the idea was I saw how great Agorist Market was doing, which, by the way, definitely check it out, agorist.market. You can put your own profile on there and put your you know, crypto addresses and immediately start accepting, start taking work, right? So it's, it's more like a listing page than it is a marketplace. So what Above Ground Market is, is, is it tries to be, it is a full-featured marketplace. What you only need is a web browser and a wallet. So we have, we have principles, right? This, this year was crazy for cryptocurrency. We have all this volatility. We've reached a market cap of $1 trillion. There's so much perceived value, but where can you spend it, right? I mean, I think it's cool that some people were able to pay for this conference with Monero. I think that was some of the greatest utility I've found yet. But there's still not many vendors that are accepting crypto. Unless you're looking at, you know, like Newegg or a few vendors or crypto collectibles or some independent services, there isn't really a platform where you and I could go on and sell the products of our label for cryptocurrency. So PayPal started accepting Bitcoins as payments this year. Amazon is rumored to be not too far behind. We don't want to leave our only options up to them. So that's why we're starting this. So we have five principles at AboveGround.Market. The first principle is privacy. We treat you anonymously, and that's a big part of what we do is owning the infrastructure and the code underneath it. We won't be begging Amazon to turn our servers back on when you know, they don't agree with what we're doing. Uh, with this responsibility, we are enabled to protect our users' privacy. 
know, we don't use third-party services. We, we, we don't collect the IPs, and we don't ask for identification, and we encrypt all the communication on the platform. Um, we're also, we, we want to give users choice, right? Because that's the most important part about all of this is you don't want to be locked in, and we have such a vibrant ecosystem with 2,200 alternative cryptocurrencies. We want to be able to accept them all. So we're launching with some of the most private coins on the market today. We've got uh, Bitcoin, of course, Bitcoin Gold, Monero, Dash, the privacy coins that got unlisted earlier this year. You'll be able to accept it, right? And you'll be able to do so relatively anonymously based on how you have your own computer set up. All we ask for is an email. The second, uh, the third, the third principle is quality. We insist on quality, right? And this way, the vendors go ahead and join our pl platform. There's no transaction fees, so we're not taking cut of every transaction, but the vendors pay to actually be on the platform. Uh, one of the first crypto uh, commerce marketplaces ever, um, Open Bazaar, which was based on a decentralized protocol, actually shut its doors, shut its servers down on the day we started, we did our launch. So I, I don't believe in coincidences. I think that's amazing. But I think one of the reasons was that people weren't ready for a decentralized marketplace yet. So above ground is not decentralized. It is centralized. But it's taking baby steps in the right direction. So with this, we're able to ensure quality because vendors are paying listing fees and they're investing in, that, in the products they sell on the site. If a lot of these uh, agorist marketplaces, they, you know, they just have products that you may not want to sell. So the goal for it is to have quality products that everyone would want to buy. Um, empowerment, right? We want you to be able to do your business your own way. So we're providing lots of different choices when it comes to shipping, even in-person pickups, and encrypted messaging all the way through, ease of use. Lastly, self-governing. Right. Um, if you've ever used darknet markets, you might remember getting scammed like a whole bunch of times, even if you're buy, buying something nice. So that's one of the main challenges when you're designing something like this is like, how does trust work? So we ourselves, we've designed an escrow system, which uh, even though you don't have a wallet on the platform, the, uh, the coins are in a holding plate until the buyer actually confirms that they've received the item and then they get sent to the user. So that is a choice. You don't have to use escrow. You don't have to have us trust us with the escrow. The, buyer, the coins can go straight to the vendor. Um, but the bigger part of that is what happens when there is a dispute, when you know, the buyer said, I didn't get what I wanted, or the seller says they, they reneged on the deal or, or that. So we are working to having a self-governing marketplace. And to do that, we have to have some level of transparency. Um, and so the choice is yours to raise a dispute and uh, also have that evaluated by a uh, set of peers, right? Other buyers and vendors on the market. So I think that's very, uh, it's, it's, it's pretty innovative. And we're going to be building this out over the next couple of months. So I do hope you all stay tuned. I think that's all for me, Derek, if you want to send me off. Thanks so much. Thank you, brother. So tell everybody the website one more time. It's aboveground.market. Aboveground.market, like it sounds. All right. So um, anybody have any particular questions? For me, I just want to say that I think that this project and our, our, our other friend Mike, who was on on Monday, his project, uh, agorist.market, right? Uh, they're both really kind of bringing to life the counter-economic idea that we were talking about on Monday of how do we trade value outside of the hands of the banks or the governments and how do we keep the value in our own communities, in our own hands. And uh, some of you may know that 
right now there's a man, a very intelligent, brilliant mind who's sitting in prison and is, was sentenced to three life sentences for trying to do something similar in the past. His name is Ross Ulbricht, and he built the Silk Road and uh, was, was arrested. And his mother has been kind of become a part of this movement over the past few years for trying to promote similar ideas. And I got to report at that trial in New York City, and the, the judge specifically said when she was sentencing Ross, who is the same age as I am, 36, I was in court watching his parents listen to the sentencing coming down. They accused him of all sorts of horrible things because he built a website. He built a website where people were free to transact, and some of that did include illicit drugs and things of that sort, and they chose to charge Ross with all of those transactions as if he had dealt those drugs or sold this or that. And the judge said, I'm giving you this sentence to make sure that nobody ever dare takes up your flag. And to me, what that signal is that these people in the system are terrified that we will learn instead of like he was talking about it being a game instead of us playing their game they're, they're they don't mind if we vote and we you know, even resort to violence because they know how to handle that they're afraid that we we get up we walk away from the game and we build our own system that's what ross was trying to do that's what mike and what ramiro are trying to do that's what we're all trying to do here so And, and it's important to support the people who are doing this. So please do check out AboveGround.Market and everybody at home who's listening. One more time for Ramiro. <laughs> He's been working behind the scenes the whole time. All right, let's bring John back on and uh, let's say goodnight for the evening. We appreciate everybody who's been here for day four of the Greater Reset Activation. We still have two more nights. We have one more night in person here in Zihuatanejo, Mexico. Tomorrow is our community day. And we're going to talk all about community organizing, intentional communities. And I got a couple of friends that are coming tomorrow. And then John actually has his lovely partner who's going to be joining us tomorrow. I'll let him tell you a little bit about uh, Rebecca Powers. Oh, yeah. She's the best. She is uh, going to be talking to us about intentional communities and eco-villages. And within the Liberty community, within the unschooling community I've been a part of, within all these different alternative communities, Everyone always had the dream of, hey, why don't we get some property and all six of our families could live together and we can just do our own thing, grow our own food. Well, a lot of people want to do that, but not very many people do. And so I hope that through this activation, people are feeling super inspired and motivated to go out and do some really big, cool things. And she is going to be providing us with some practical steps to do just that because it doesn't have to be out of our reach. And that's like I said in my talk at the beginning of this little activation, I think we should all just opt out, get some intentional communities on the outside of town, link up and can form our own little confederation with trade routes and mutual defense compacts and just leave all this nightmare technocracy in the dust. What an extremist. <laughs> yeah, and we'll frolic through the flower patches and grow tomatoes and play with our you kids. I joke about that, but I mean, let's let's just be real about it for a moment, guys. We're here in 2021, and that language is being used to people who are doing the things that we've been talking about this week. Growing our own food, taking care of our own communities, getting out of these technological control grids, you know, reclaiming our sovereignty, and that's being called extremist. We need to think about that, how just the way of life that we're trying to lead is being demonized. And I think the way that we combat that is to lead by example and to show people that what we're talking about is only extreme to people who desire power and desire authority over other free human beings. Those of us who have no problem and we're free to live and let live, 
uh, we recognize that this is just, I think, I would say, our, you know, our gift from our creator being put on this planet, that we're meant to be free. And technology can play a role in that. And we hope you guys have taken some of that away. I asked earlier online uh, on our Telegram channel and our other channels, what, is, what was the activation you took away from today? And anybody here who feels like shouting out, I got a couple of sub people saying, I'm going to use a VPN for now on. I'm going to learn more about uh, this pre-search. Anybody else that particular solutions that were presented that they might change or alter their behavior or start learning more about? I guess you guys already are all encrypted, right? Everybody in this room. How many of you are still using Google? It's all right. We won't throw you out the room. <laughs> I am. That might be a good start, I think. Even the fact, that, just, I'll just say this and pass it back to you, John. Even the fact that it's become a verb in our, in our language, I think, is a sign that has been in, like, literally implanted in our minds. We don't say search for something. We use their company name as a verb. Maybe we should start thinking about that. Duck, duck, go it. Pre-search it. Anything else? Put it in your search browser. Yeah, that, I mean, Xerox did it, Kleenex did it, and Google did it. And uh, remember, it's all about just baby steps. You don't have to overwhelm yourself. A lot of folks are new to this whole thing, right? And these ideas are fresh for them, and they can be daunting or overwhelming. But just try to do one small thing. Just take a small step every day if you can. And before you know it, two months down the road, six months down the road, three years down the road, you may be living an entirely different life that you're more satisfied and aligns with your values more. Absolutely. Yeah, definitely take small steps. I didn't mean to get us off track with previewing tomorrow, but I definitely want to emphasize the importance of us taking this information seriously, the tech information. And again, reiterate, think about the ways that we might be giving away some of our own privacy and privacy and liberty are very interconnected. You lose one, it seems difficult to keep the other. But I do want to talk a little bit about tomorrow. Before we go tomorrow, we're also going to be talking with Ted uh, Rao of the Sociocracy for All organization. He's also the author of Many Voices, One Song. And he's going to be talking about sociocracy as a solution for community organizing. We heard a little bit from Laney the other day about consensus, and we've talked about freedom cells. And really, when it comes to freedom cells, we don't tell people how to organize. We just say, you know, do what's best for your particular community. If that means consensus, if that means, you know, majority rule, if that means whatever. Tomorrow, we'll get to hear from Ted about what sociocracy looks like, how your business, your freedom cell, your community can organize in another decentralized, non-hierarchical way that I think will be really interesting to a lot of you guys. And then we're going to go into a panel. we got another panel that I know we're both excited about, about how to activate your freedom cells. We're going to hear from several freedom cell members from different parts of the world. We're going to hear from Johan in India. Uh, we got uh, Lisa from Oklahoma and then Nicole from Tennessee. John, you want to talk a little bit about the panel? Yeah, I think the cool thing that we're going to get out of this panel is just to see the Freedom Cell network in real life. Like, I don't want to steal her thunder, but one of the cool stories about Lisa is she went on the Freedom Cell map at freedomcells.org, and one of the folks in her inner cadre actually lived in her neighborhood just a couple blocks away. And now they work together and they do gardening together and all sorts of stuff. So if you haven't joined the Freedom Cell Network yet, please go to freedomcells.org and join us and then participate and check out this panel so you can get some, some good advice and strategies on how to, how to leverage the Freedom Cell Network to benefit your life. And in doing so, there's a synergy there. There's reciprocity where we can all help one another. Absolutely. And I, got, I want to remind everybody again that if you haven't visited freedomcells.org this, this week, you just heard Ramiro talk. He's the one who helped us build up the latest infrastructure. We have, what, 15,000 people, I think? 15, we just passed 15,000 people. Yeah, yeah. Just, just throughout the event, we passed 15,000 people from all over the world. 
The reason we're encouraging you to use it is not so you have another social media site to keep up with. Create an account, put what your interests are, what your skills are, go use the members map and the sales map. Be sure to add your location, not your house, but the city or the town that you're in, and use the, the map to search for people five miles, 10 miles, 15 miles of where you're at, and it really has become an international movement. Find those people, connect, message each other, start organizing in real life. That's the goal. The website is just the sort of conduit to help you use the maps to find people. And you're going to hear some wonderful stories tomorrow from just some people who are really just doing great. Johan, from in, he's just doing amazing things in India. Yeah. I mean, he's been making just massive waves and shifts using the Freedom Cells concept. And people are doing it in the U.S. We got more and more Freedom Cells forming in Mexico as well. Uh, please do check out the website, freedomcells.org. We'll hear all about, about that tomorrow. And then our last speaker for tomorrow night, I'm super excited about because he's a friend of mine and he's also my permaculture teacher. I'm about to be certified to teach, uh, to be a permaculture teacher if I want to be all right. uh, you know, ready to share that information with the world, which I'm excited about. And I learned all this information from Stephen Brooks and Stephen is just a wizard of building communities. If, if you've ever heard of Envision Festival or Punta Mona in Costa Rica or Alegria in, in Costa Rica, he's got four intentional communities that he's built in Costa Rica over the last 25 years. Him and a, a team of people, of course, but he's just been this leading force. And he also founded the Envision Festival in uh, Costa Rica as well. But he's just got such a wealth of knowledge on not only on plants and plant medicine and, you know, all sorts of great things, but permaculture, organizing communities. And he's going to give us some really practical tips and advice on how to start as, as Becca's going to get into, as John was saying, she's going to talk about you know, everybody's talking about intentional community. I often see these memes going around social media where people are like, oh, don't you just want to get 10 of your best friends and run off to, you know, build an intentional community? It's like this dream or this kind of idea that a lot of us have, but there are practical steps and things that need to take place in order to get there, right? You know, it's not just, especially if you want it to be more than just a meme flying by in your social media feed. If you actually desire this goal, well, then maybe we need to take some concrete steps. And Stephen's going to help get us some ideas rolling on that. And then, of course, we are going to be doing another day on Sunday, and Sunday is a different time. It's not 6 central p.m. It's going to be 12 noon p.m., um, and that'll be through the greaterreset.org website. But, yeah, I'm excited about tomorrow, John. Anything else you want to add? No, just, again, it's it was Derek's idea to call it the Greater Reset Activation. It's not a conference or a festival, and I think that's really what it's all about. So I hope that you leave today inspired and that there's a lot of takeaways that you can implement. It's all about action. Let's do it. And then when we rejoin in May, we can share from the audience. You can share your comments, share some stories on how your life's improved, how you found more freedom and more community. Absolutely. Let's do it. All right, guys, we'll see you tomorrow. Remember, you are powerful. You are beautiful. You are free. <laughs>